Don't worry, as the caption reads, he probably will be doing little time. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name is Lukanowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we have an amazing show for you here today on YouTube.com forward slash WeAreChange. We definitely don't have any controversial guests here at all. <laughs> we definitely don't have any people in the house here that have been banned or censored anywhere, as of course, we will be going live for the next two hours discussing all the latest news as there are some crazy twists and developments surrounding X and Twitter, especially when it comes to a Missouri attorney general that might be getting involved here, specifically when it comes to media matters. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about larger ideologies. We're going to be talking about the conflict that is happening, of course, inside of the Middle East. And you guys could participate in that conversation by, of course, signing up to LukeUnfiltered.com. And then by doing so, you guys get access to a special chat that I pay attention to during the show. And then during the rumble portion of the show, you guys will be able to call in and ask us or the guest any questions you want. So don't forget to sign up to LukeUnfiltered.com. You could also super chat, by the way, on MySuperChat.com. That's another website of ours where the cut is only 3%. YouTube takes a 30% cut from Super Chats. MySuperChats.com, 3%, and we will make sure to read all of your questions, all of your concerns. Be a part of the conversation either by LukeUnfiltered.com or by going to MySuperChats.com. As, of course, today we have Jackson Hinkle, a part of the conversation. Jackson, who are you for the few people who might not know who you are? I was a YouTuber, but uh, <laughs> not anymore. But no, I'm a political commentator. I'm a Marxist-Leninist, uh, Trump, I guess, MAGA movement supporter. And I live in Miami, and uh, I cover a lot of foreign policy, geopolitics, so happy to be here. Lots of crazy developments, so we're going to be talking a lot, specifically about the Middle Eastern conflict as well. Clint is here for the ride as well of the Liberty Lockdown podcast. Clint, how are you? I'm good, Luke. I'm good. Uh, just got back from VA. Thank you to uh, Tim Poole for having me back out there, as well as Cassandra. Uh, it was a real honor to do the show with Dave Smith, one of my mentors. I, I am the host of Liberty Lockdown. I am the co-host of Tower Gang, and I am the co-host also of this fine program, thebestpoliticalshow.com, if you guys want to subscribe on rumble or youtube uh please do it's good that you remembered the dot com yeah you, you didn't remember on, on timcast i did like, on friday you're like the best political show and i'm like dot com dot com <laughs> and, and then you let that potato man walk all over you i expected better anyway we're, we'll get into it later stephanie is also here for the ride <laughs> hello everyone i am steph of we are change i am the professional button pusher Excited to be pushing buttons today. Awesome. Well, let's just get right into it. As of course, there's a lot of drama, a lot of controversy surrounding Twitter as major multinational corporations, including Apple, Comcast, Disney, the European Commission, IBM, Lionsgate, Paramount, Warner Brother, all have suspended advertisement on X. Why? Well, it's probably because of the Media Matters hit pieces that were just performed on that platform, along with other corporate media coordinated attacks that now look to take the funding of one of the few platforms that actually allows individuals to be able to speak freely. One of the few platforms that doesn't censor people because of their ideologies, because of their political expression, is directly under attack. Rumble, which the second portion of the show will be on, is also under attack, as you could see here by this Media Matters article that also has been launched against it, as now major influencers are coming together and announcing, hey, 
Uh, you guys are going to censor uh, this platform. We're going to come out and finance this platform. Individuals like Andrew Tate that just announced that he is going to be spending a million dollars a month specifically on advertisement on Twitter, going as far as to say, you don't need other advertisers. Simply let me know where to pay Elon Musk as he just wants to support the cause of a platform that, of course, allows him to have free speech as he was also an individual who was very heavily censored. Jackson, I, I think you know a little bit about, about censorship yourself. You've been censored from a lot of different platforms. What is your reaction to this news? As some people even go as far as to say you might be one of the reasons why uh, Twitter is under attack this way. Yeah, I think anyone who tells the truth about uh, these sorts of conflicts is going to face censorship on a normal platform, but Twitter X is not a normal platform. And uh, there's a lot of people who are challenging the establishment orthodoxy about uh, what's going on right now in the world. And for that, uh, Elon Musk responded by simply just saying, hands off, let's let it unfold and see, you know, what what narratives rise to the top. And the the official sponsors of the censors really aren't happy. You know, I think it goes to show uh, where these companies' true values really lie, and it lies with the establishment, and that's why they're pulling the plug now on uh, on X. But I don't think it's surprising, and I think it's exactly what we all probably expected to eventually happen with X. It's, we've seen it with Rumble governments going after Rumble, the French government going after them, for example. But um, I'm happy to see so many people are rallying around the cause to say, hey, look, we love this thing. Uh, we're going to put money into it. I mean, you mentioned some other people that are going to be, you know, doing ad buys and sponsors on, on X now. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, there's a list of growing individuals who are going to be supporting X. One of them, the, the biggest one, of course, is uh, Andrew Tate. Second of that is going to be the Babylon Bee with a quarter million dollars. Tim Poole of Timcast will be giving a quarter million dollars. Benny Johnson, $50,000. Censored.tv, $40,000. The Quartering, $25,000. Donut Operator, $10,000. Elijah Schaefer, $2,500. PragerU, continuing to advertise heavily and so is Public Square that announced that they're going to be doubling or tripling their advertisements. Us, we're a little, we're a little bit in the red. Uh, we might do we might do a give send go maybe, uh, and uh, if we have more funds, you know that's a that's an idea that we're also kind of throwing out there. But it's it's interesting to see all these kind of supporters coming out and saying, you know what, we're going to put our money where where our mouth is. Here's some money. Will this be enough to sustain Twitter, or do you think these these attacks are going to be very detrimental to Twitter and its existence? Well, it, it definitely has the potential of being enough to undermine Elon's efforts. But you've seen him kind of go back and forth where he said that he's going to ban from the river to the sea and other other phrases that are allegedly genocidal. I disagree strongly, but setting that aside, um, you know, he he said he was going to do that. Then Greenblatt, the head of the ADL, said, thank you, <laughs> which is like really kissing the ring, uh, which I did not appreciate. But then a few hours later in the middle of the night, Elon tweets out, we're going to first thing on Monday, we're going to be, uh, you know, firing a nuclear weapon of a lawsuit at, at Media Matters. And that that, my friends, is actually how you fight back. Thermonuclear uh, is the exact term okay. he used uh, when it comes to uh, going after Media Matters as now there might be even an attorney general that might be looking into this entire matter matter in this entire saga as we have on twitter stephen miller talking about how 
uh, media matters potentially using fake bots and fake accounts is a matter of criminal violations of fraud and now we literally have attorney generals from missouri saying hey uh we're gonna look into this matter which is bringing another development into this as we are seeing lawfare to its highest craziest degree now when it comes to free speech and this larger kind of bigger billionaire battle for freedom of speech online i don't know how it's going to play out but um it's not boring yeah to say the least i mean for those that don't understand how this how this stuff works basically the government isn't able to censor you because you have first amendment protections so what they do is they use these ngos these non-governmental organizations which are largely funded through your tax dollars that then ultimately are funneled back into these like these think uh you know think pieces and and uh and action committees and essentially they apply pressure surreptitiously they they circumvent your first first amendment protections they apply pressure to private businesses to ultimately modify their terms of service to then be able to kick you off but it's all directed at the very highest level from the government so it should be opposed by anybody that actually values freedom in this country it's going, to, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we're, we're coming at a very crucial time when it comes to advertisements. Like right now, it's, it's the holiday seasons. This is when everyone's advertising. And I, I really wonder what made these huge corporations not advertise on one of the most engaging, biggest social media platforms out there. Is the economy that bad or is there something else behind the scenes happening here? And if so, what's happening? I'd have to save my real th thesis for Rumble, so I'll let <laughs> yes. you answer. I think... Um the government learned that it's deeply unpopular to, you know, Assange people, to put people in prison for the rest of their lives. It gets a lot of people upset. And, you know, there's a lot of people who poke fingers or point fingers rather at uh, China and Russia and what they do with censorship in their countries. And while, yeah, I mean, I think there should be total and utter absolute free speech, at least in China and in Russia, uh, there, there's, I mean, I was just in Russia. I know a lot of Russians like, there's things that everyone knows that they can and cannot say. And when it comes to the official government approach, everything is laid out in the law. And if you do something that violates law, you're labeled a foreign agent or whatever. In America, they basically, you know, in, in one giant swoop can take you from every social media platform. They don't have to put you in prison like Assange. They can just silence you and no one's ever going to hear from you again. So I think it's just a far easier uh, you know, mechanism rather than the full out, you know, locking you in Belmarsh or something. Yeah, it's digital gulags as opposed to yeah. physical ones. Yeah. Yeah, they can't make you a martyr as they learned through, of course, what they did to Donald Trump because they, the more that they directly at attack him and go after him as a personality, the more he goes up in poll numbers. They, I, I think they learned through what happened to RFK, JFK, MLK, and Malcolm X, uh, all the individuals that were not on you know, the, the, the good list of the intel agencies, they were on the naughty list. Uh, I, I think the intelligence agencies learned that those ideas can't be stopped when it comes to individuals. So now we're having this kind of new way of compromising individuals, getting dirt on them, releasing uh, information that, that makes them look bad. But more importantly, 
bringing them to court and taking away their resources and finances so they could just bleed them dry. We saw that with Alex Jones more specifically, as of course, just a couple days ago, he was talking about how his entire operation is in bankruptcy and how he might go out of business very soon because of the legal lawfare that has been committed against him. So right now, you know, we're in a situation where I'm trying to cozy up to all my lawyer friends as much as I can. Viva Frey, Barnes, we're best friends. You guys don't know about it. It's okay. But uh, this is this is the, the the reality that we're all living in. I don't know if I, I think I, I read something on social media that you're dealing with some lawsuits or we're dealing with some lawsuits. I don't know if you can talk about it or if you can't talk about it. But uh, what, what what's the latest with that? Well, we'll tell the full story on Rumble, but Got it. basically um, the short story, the YouTube story is uh, the Israeli media outlet Haaretz uh, threatened me with a lawsuit, but we'll get into the details later. Got it. Got it. Um, Jack Posobiec has a very interesting perspective on this entire boycott of Twitter and X. And the, the person that he's pointing the finger at is directly the president of China, Xi Jinping. As, of course, he is saying that it might not be a coincidence that these larger censorship efforts are coming after some of the largest same heads of these multinational corporate states, as well as BlackRock, just met and sat with Xi Jinping at a big meeting in San Francisco. He's saying that this is the meeting that took place, that they organized this hit on Elon Musk, and now they're carrying it out. Do you believe that theory has any merit? As, of course, the relationship between China and Elon Musk is a very interesting one, and it highlights uh, different uh, perspectives from depending on where you're getting your news sources from. But what do you guys think about that? I got a lot to say on that, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> well, Jack Pasebic is, uh, you know, an, an admitted former federal agent that did a lot of anti-China work. And um, so I don't really take anything that that guy says seriously, but uh, especially about China. But when it comes to China, I mean, if everyone knows what, what you know, we're not going to get into it on YouTube, but everyone knows what's being censored right now in the world and why it's being censored. And it's a huge story. And China stands with, uh, you know, with, with Palestine and also, Xi Jinping, uh, from what I understand, has a very good relationship with Elon Musk. There's been a lot of calls from uh, these NGOs that you were discussing for Elon Musk to shut down operations in China and with the Chinese government because of, you know, uh, concerns over what's happening in Xinjiang. And Elon basically told them all, you know, screw off. We're still working with China. So I, I don't buy that. Yeah, I'll, I'll back that up and just say I think that Posobiec and many in the G
Check, check. All right, we're back. All right, sorry about that. Uh, we have no idea what in the world happened. Sometimes we have a little bit of uh, audio difficulties. We restarted everything, so it's just going to be a delay. If it ever happens again, uh, my team's paying attention to it, but there's no notification, we don't do anything, and then sometimes there's no sound. So I apologize, we're gonna be uh, exchanging equipment. New equipment's going to be in the mail uh, by the end of this broadcast. It won't happen again, hopefully. If it does, just wait 20 seconds and we'll continue to play the video of the guy struggling inside of the gym. Uh, with the weights there. But where were we with, with our conversation that was going on? Uh, you were just talking about your take on, on Posobiec. Yeah, I, I, I like Jack Posobiec, but I think he's wrong on this kind of theory here. Um, as you mentioned, more specifically, China's interests are more represented on Twitter than on any other social media platform that specifically censors and bans their larger kind of interests in this, in this realm, as of course, YouTube, Alphabet, Google, Facebook, and all these other social media companies, they're like, uh-uh, we got to go with one narrative. That one narrative is the only thing people could hear, and they can't hear anything else. That, to me, is just absolutely absurd. But who do you guys think might be responsible for all of this? As I think, you know, some of the other people, as far as, like, the BlackRock individuals, as, as far as the, the individuals a part of that larger kind of infrastructure, I, I, I think they do have a hand in this, personally, myself. I actually agree with that, but I think it's for a totally different reason. I think that, well... For those that aren't familiar, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, they own, uh, if not a plurality, but a significant portion of every major corporation in America, if not the world, um, you know, to the tunes of tens of trillions of dollars. It's astronomical sums. Uh, my personal opinion is that their interests uh, are aligned with the military industrial complex because they want to see the U.S. and a, a multi-front uh, wider war occur in the Middle East, it's highly probable that they don't like having someone like Jackson Hinkle sharing a bunch of anti-war stuff. <laughs> so that that would be my guess as to really the interests that are at play here. I fully agree with that. I fully agree with that. I mean, we saw the same thing uh, to a lesser extent during the Ukraine business, you know, exactly. You know, all the censorship that I've primarily faced was during that before everything in Palestine broke out. So it's, you know, that, that was all Ukraine and it's the same thing. You look at who's profiting the most from uh, what's going on there in Eastern Europe, BlackRock. Right. Because the they had they had the contracts to rebuild Ukraine. Well, they're going to have a lot to rebuild now because of this needless war. So. Uh, and they have the contracts along with Goldman Sachs, as exactly. well as all these other larger power brokers. But it, it's not advantageous for these companies to say, we're not going to advertise on one of the biggest platforms out there. We're not going to be a part of the larger conversations. We're not going to reach the, a demographic of people who constantly, no matter where they are, are checking their Twitter. That is a huge loss for them. So for, for me, it, it's always been a perspective of calling out the larger government interests. Because if you look at the intel agencies, if you look at the federal government, if you look at the Pentagon... They all have their tentacles in social media, and they have from the very beginning, especially when it came to InQtel, especially when it came to their funding, and especially when it came to their start. And I think they have always been an asset of the state. So who's responsible for this larger coordinated attack against Elon Musk? My opinion, the state. Absolutely, because they did it before. They, they, they were trying to control the narrative when it came to almost every aspect of almost every conflict that they pushed. They always made sure that the pro-war, neoconservative, military-industrial complex point of view always got across. Anti-war voices? Never. They always shut those down. You look at the corporate media. You watch MSNBC. You watch CNN. Overwhelmingly, 98% of the time, according to some studies, there are pro-war messages on that program 
rather than messages of peace, of, of detente, of negotiations, of, of, of people calling for ceasefires. Those voices aren't heard on the corporate media. They are heard on social media, on Rumble and Twitter, but nowhere really else. As, of course, the narrative is more important for them to protect more than anything else. And, and again, it's just, it's just so absurd that these central controllers, these control freaks, they're, they're, they're so insecure. They want to control the narratives where they want you to stop even just describing and debating ideas. There were some people that came to us and they were like, why are you having Jackson on? I mean, why the hell not? We should talk to everyone, even if we disagree with them, because that's the way to get to the truth. If you're trying to hide the truth from the general public, you lie, you censor. You're not on the good side of history once you stop people being able to express themselves freely. The First Amendment freedom of speech, I think, is absolutely crucial here. And without it, I think the situation would be a lot worse off. Without Twitter, without Rumble, we would be a lot worse off than we are now. But now, Twitter and Rumble, they're in, they're in the fight for their lives. And I think, I think that's not an accident. And, it's not a coincidence. And to, just to kind of prove out your case even further, if people were, can tune, tune their brains back to the summer of uh, 22... Yeah, 22, uh, when the, the war was at its peak and they were saying, uh, I'm talking about Russia, Ukraine here, and they were talking about how Ukraine was having all these incredible victories that were unexpected, Snake Island, all this other stuff. Well, most of the other social media sites, there was still sort of censorship protocols, a lot of, a lot of fears about what you were allowed to say on Twitter, because it was still Twitter at the time. We were able to actually report in real time, it, myself, Jackson, a whole bunch of other people, Luke too, I'm sure, uh, were able to kind of dissect that narrative and realize that we were being deceived early on. And we've been deceived the the entirety of that war. It's just constant lies, the counteroffensive that was doomed to failure, that sacrificed hundreds of thousands of, of young Ukrainian men's lives for nothing, as well as thousands of Russian men. Um, and I think that because of that experience, they realize they have they don't have the control over X like they once did, and they want to get that control back. Elon is yet to to take a knee and kiss the ring, and they're trying to put the pressure on. Yeah. And, it's, and, and they can't have these wars if they can't control the narrative, if they can't control the messaging, if they can't control the exactly. truth and the reality, the reality of it. Because you look at the first Gulf War. Baby is in incubators. You look at Vietnam, the Gulf of Tonkin incident. We could go all the way back to Pearl Harbor. We could go to the Lusitania. We could go. We could go back. Keep going. All right. <laughs> there's also one event, 2001. We can't even talk about here on this particular platform. Uh, there's also, you know, the, the the weapons of mass destruction. There's also, you know, the really bad guy in Libya, the bad guy in Syria, the bad guy in Afghanistan, the bad guy in Iraq, the bad guys in Iran. Now, it's just it's just so ridiculous to to be in a place and position where it's like, hey. You shouldn't take other people's lives. You shouldn't bomb and destroy other people halfway around the world because they allegedly hate you for your freedom. That's why they need control of the narrative, because without it, they lose everything. And their positions of power are extremely vulnerable, and they know it. They know it very much because they wouldn't be going this desperately out of their way if, if, they, if it didn't work. And keep in mind, too. It's not as if Elon's picking a side here. He has allowed the the uh, body cam footage from the Hamas fighters to be shown, which obviously bolsters the, the campaign for Israel's defense. But he has also allowed the footage of children by the thousands being pulled from the rubble in Gaza. So he's not picking a side. He's letting you see the horrors of war. And that alone, even though he's not picking a side, mind you, that alone is enough to get the, the heat turned up on him. These people want endless war. I'm, I am 100% convinced of that. All of their financial interests are aligned with it, as well as all of their geopolitical goals, which are, you know, we could get into later, but it's a lot. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know from, from, from your experiences, I, I know you, uh, Jackson originally started like a, like a Bernie supporter, but, but what's your kind of understanding of, of everything that's happening right now? Because you're kind of, you're kind of new to, to a lot of this perspective. What's been some of the biggest eye-opening revelations that you've learned through your kind of introduction to, uh, the way the, the, the things really are in this world? Well, I think uh, some of the some of the so-called bad men that you just named, uh, the lies that were told about them woke me up and uh, what's going on in Syria, that woke me up a lot. And I think um, the Russia-Ukraine business, I think that really showed the world that, hey, look, there really is a changing world order. And it's not the new world order as Joe Biden, you know, talks about. It's a, it's a multipolar world, meaning that rather than Wall Street in the city of London controlling all the mechanisms of, you know, global financial markets and currencies, you're going to have a, a, a new order where China, Russia, Brazil, Iran, whoever are going to be developing their own, uh, their own, uh, you know, manufacturing base, their own resources, eventually their own currencies to challenge the unipolar system that is the West. And uh, we're seeing that play out culturally. Uh, we're seeing that play out, obviously, economically. And most importantly, what woke me up was the military aspect of it, which was the Ukraine war. And now it's going on right now with a potential larger war breaking out in the Middle East that I don't think is going to go the way that some people in Washington think it's going to go if it does go there. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, not the, we're not the behemoth that we made ourselves out to be in, in the West. And I think it's been a wake-up call the past two, three years for a lot of people. I'm getting very concerned about agreeing with every word that a Marxist-Leninist is saying. <laughs> this is horrifying to me. <laughs> we're going to get into the Marxism. We're going to get into the Leninism. Uh, we're going to get into all of it. Uh, and I, I specifically want to talk about that with a larger kind of geopolitical perspective on China and Russia, which I think we might agree on some things. We might disagree on some things. Mm -hmm. But I want to read some Super Chats before we do that. We got one by Raybert G. Stanbert Jr., a uh, great name, by the way, who says, you leave Potato Man out of this damn, damn it. No, never. Potato Man, uh, put the camera on me, Stephanie. Potato Man, bad man, deserves to be stopped <laughs> immediately. And I will do nothing, nothing to stop myself from stopping him from hurting all of you wonderful, beautiful people. I, we got I, another super I, chat. And then, and then I'm still disappointed at Clint for letting that potato man just walk him all over him. You were, you were the mashed potatoes. He made mashed <laughs> potatoes out of ridiculous. you. And I'm disappointed Seamus in you, Clint. was so disappointed. He couldn't get a word in edgewise. He even said so. Dave and I totally monopolized that along with Tim. Anyways, I rode to the airport with Seamus, and Seamus, the entire time we just talked about how much we both love Luke, and now we get here, and now Luke just wants to hate on the potato man. <laughs> lies. And it's really lies, messed up. Lies, disinformation, propaganda. Let's get into some of the other super chats here we got another one by alan tenise and uh, your super chat is very spicy and uh, we can't say the last bit here on youtube but you are mentioning that all of these gen zers simping over bin laden but i was waiting for to for this to mention that uh, the events of that day should be questioned i'm just going to leave it at that that's not what you said but that's essentially what you said there uh you guys get any responses to this kind of uh, bin laden uh, letter I mean, I, I went to war with Tim about it. Uh, I still think that despite the messenger, you should listen to the message. You should actually consider it. It doesn't mean you have to agree with every word. And those that agree with every word, in my opinion, are out of their effing minds. However, if you if you actually read the entirety of it and you don't come to the conclusion that many of the grievances listed are empirical facts and atrocities that have been perpetrated by the U.S. military industrial complex, well, then you're delusional. Um, so I, you know, I approach it with a nuanced view, which is very unpopular, but it's the truth. So 
Shoot me. I don't care. Glenn Greenwald just brought up a very, I think, mild and good point. He said, you know, it's a new generation understanding that, you know, the lie that was sold that they hate us for our democracy was not true. And uh, and there's deeper reasons. The other thing I'll say, though, is that don't you think it's so crazy that that letter was going viral all across TikTok nonstop? Not one advertiser, from what I saw, pulled any of their sponsors. Yeah, from yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah, l- yeah. let me add one other thing. You know, everyone wanted to get the uh, the Tennessee school shooters manifesto. Like we were, we all wanted to see it. We were all furious that the the police wouldn't release it. Tim Tim Pool talked about it all the time, but yet, like you're not going to read that and conclude like, oh, there's you know everything said in here is legitimate. You want to understand someone's motivations. Well, it's it, the same applies to Bin Laden. Okay, if you want to understand why someone would commit such a terrible atrocity like that. You should read what they had to say. It's as simple as that. My opinion, it's it's a psyop within a psyop and probably written by the CIA to <laughs> make anti-war voices <laughs> or, look uh, horrible. Or That's it's my that. Opinion. Or it's that. He that, might be that, right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just, you know, I'm just conspiratorial. We got another super chat by Salvatore who says they're going down the FCC route now for the golden control glove of the Internet. I don't know if you guys looked into what the FCC has been doing uh, yeah, but I, I know about it, but as well. I don't know enough details to actually like know if it's as dangerous as people are making it sound. But essentially, it's a diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, you know, add on to the FCC's role as regulator for Internet and communication. So it, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm sure it's not a good thing. I just don't know how bad it is. Yeah. Uh, it looks like we also have some breaking news coming in now from Argentina. Can you guess what happened? <gasps> Did he win? Javier Milley is the new president no. of Argentina, wow. as That's being awesome. reported on social media right now. Now, of course, we don't know if they're going to have an emergency, uh, you know, uh, vote drop from mail-in sources in some, midnight. We, it's midnight still, it's still early. Like, you never know. <laughs> but I'm seeing a lot of declarations that Javier Milley, the anarchist president, has absolutely won Incredible. in the race in Ukraine. Now, for me and Clint, amazing news. Jackson, you see things a little bit different there. Um, you, you have a different ideology than, than of course, we do. Um, and I do I, think he's funny, though. I think okay, he's, that's yeah, good. Yeah, I think At he, least we can agree on that. <laughs> I, I, I think he's awesome. Some people have accused you of potentially being on the Chinese side or the Russian side, but but I, I just want you to explain like your larger ideology. What do you stand for, and are you more siding with Russia and China, or or what's your official position? I think when it comes to governments, yeah. I mean, I I definitely don't stand with the U.S. government. But I think uh, when it comes to the people, I mean, I'm an American patriot. I'm about as red-blooded American as you can get. My my ancestors came here on the Mayflower. They fought in the American Revolution, War of 1812, Civil War, you name it, World War II. And um, I just want what's best for America. And I think what's best for America is to have good relations with China and Russia and do business with them. You don't have to like China or Xi Jinping, but you know, like Elon, you can do business with China or whoever. And uh, I guess that gets misconstrued as being a Chinese, you know, asset or something if you don't want to go to war over Taiwan or you don't want to go to war over Ukraine. So um, yeah, I think I think that pretty much summarizes it. In, in fairness, I, I totally agree with you, but I, I think that the reason people might assume, accuse you of such is because you also have the Marxist-Lenist label, and that would obviously put you more in alignment with their governmental system yeah. as well. So it, do you have disagreements with those nations? Um, the governments, not the people. I mean, 
may i mean i i don't want america to i don't want our government to be like china exactly or like russia russia you know not marxist but putin grew up at that right. time uh but i i think that we can learn things from them for sure mm -hmm. i don't i don't want to be 100 percent china or 100 percent russia i mean we're american so i think we should have whatever comes in america should be based on our history our principles our values our constitution and i'm a christian so i'd say christian values as well do you want do you want Donald Trump to be the dictator of America? Uh, I think he'd be a better dictator than the current rotating dictatorship every four years of the. Well, I, I would well, actually agree with they, that. Aren't but. they all dictators? <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're all pretty, I'm, I'm Obama, like the the biggest, craziest one of them all. Well, theoretically, uh, we get to throw them out yeah, every four but, years. But, but correct me if I'm wrong. You believe the best way to make America great is through central control government communism. Is that correct? Uh centrally controlled has a lot of like connotations with the negative connotations i think that uh, if you're talking about like a planned economy i think a planned economy is great i think china's shown that they've lifted 840 million people out of poverty in the last 40 years and i think we do have a planned economy in the u.s right now but it's just planned for the you know it's like the, the trotskyist model it's like it's just planned for the globalist elite it's planned for the oligarchy yeah so i think uh i i but i think if you're going to talk like you know if you're going to really strip the idea down of government control, no, I think there should be less government control at the top, and it should be, you know, delegated to local centers of power. Yeah. Well, if you look at China, they also killed, you know, a lot of people, and they got rid of a lot of people, especially during the Cultural Revolution, which a lot of people make parallels to what's happening right now in America, that we're down this kind of pathway where if you think wrong, government will come in and fix you and mandate and give people public walks of shame. I don't think we're, we're that far off. Uh, does your ideology clash with kind of the larger cultural Marxism that is being pushed by a lot of leftists? And, and how do you rectify those kind of ideological differences? Well, first, I'll say that, uh, as they always say, history does repeat itself first as a tragedy, then as a farce. And maybe that kind of applies to what you're talking about with our country today. But I think that uh, I don't think that I mean, cultural Marxism is just like a made up jibber jabber turn. It, it really doesn't mean anything. Marxism culturally is very conservative. You look at Stalin, Soviet Union, you look at Che Guevara in Cuba, it doesn't matter where you look. You look at China today, they, they ban all the woke stuff from their media. And Stalin and Che, uh, I don't think any of the blue-haired leftist freaks at college universities would fare so well under their rule. So, yeah, there's a famous meme of uh, a blue-haired kind of hipster with flip-flops with a shovel <laughs> be like, "Where's my cultural <laughs> marxism like uh, artistic, you know, reparations class?" And and then, you know, the the Soviet guards is there with the AK-47 dig the hole, slave. Yeah. Um which I think is a fair assessment of what actually would happen as of course I've been calling this out as well as a lot of the leftists have been cheering on Che Guevara and Che Guevara, well, they don't know. They, don't, they know. don't know the history of like how violent and and absolutely crazy Che Guevara actually was. Yeah, especially uh, to their kind. To their kind, exactly. To 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 their people, to to their ideologies and representation. And I'm like, these people are literally calling for their own kind of subjugation under this kind of similar system. So uh, this is where it kind of gets spicy. It's like, is that what you're calling for? Is is me personally, yeah. uh, I mean, I think there should be free speech. I think that, uh, I think Russia has, you know, don't want to get too spicy for YouTube, but Russia has some really interesting cultural policies surrounding those communities uh, that they've put <laughs> forward about, you know, they want to maintain family values. They are a predominantly Christian nation, and I think they've done some good things. 
China as well, uh, you know, but it's um, not a Christian nation, but they've done good things centered around, you know, trying to keep that out. But uh, I, I think that, um, I think that, I mean, do I want that? I mean, we live in a different time. We live in a different country and you have to respect the constitution and whatever. So I think that that reigns supreme. Interesting. No, I, I just, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this idea because we've agreed on so much. And yet, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm an anarcho-capitalist and I, I believe that the free market provides in a far better fashion than centrally planned economic models. I'm curious what makes you think that given from where we're coming from with the American kind of technocratic elite and the really what is a planned economy, as you described earlier, it only benefits the elites and the, you know, the globalist interests. Why, why, why is that reformable? Why would you not rather just diminish the state and allow for, you know, free markets and, and natural price setting? Well, I, I, I don't necessarily think that our government is uh, able to be reformed at all. But Agreed. <laughs> I do think that, I mean, you look at China, uh, China, for example, is a country that went through great shifts in a very short amount of time. They're a proud people, proud nation, and they've been able to lift themselves up. And Russia did, you know, when they transferred into the Soviet Union, they were living in like feudal society, terrible conditions. And it's not what it is today, but it got better, mm -hmm. you know, under the Soviet Union. They advanced like 100 years within just several decades. So I think that in America, um, I, I, the way I see it is I just don't understand why we as Americans should allow our land, our oil, our gas, our nuclear, our resources, everything like that to be owned by Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. And I don't understand why uh, we allow our government to outsource all of our manufacturing as well. I think that we need to rapidly uh you know orient our economy in the good of the public which we don't have right now and we need to rapidly increase manufacturing and production in our country okay. i think those two things are basically it well I, I i don't disagree that it would be nice if we could you know bring more domestic manufacturing i think that the the, the issue is that we now are in a globalized economy thanks to new technologies that didn't exist in the past you know shipping and and the internet obviously has made it so that i don't think that you can put that genie back in the bottle i think you're going to be in a globalized economy and if you try and take kind of a, a protectionist stance you will ultimately end up getting your lunch eaten by some other nations that opt not to so i think that that's a dead end my my solution as you would probably guess, would be to end the Federal Reserve, get back to sound money, allow for the inflationary pressures to stop so that the, the American people can once again be a competitive labor force on the global scale. We don't have that because the I mean, of all of all of the people we've described today, the people that are the most evil are the ones that actually control not just the the interest rate, but the quantity of, of fiat currency that's circulating through the system. Those are the real people that control your lives and no one even knows their names. We never talk about them. But that's really the problem. Yeah. If, I, if I could address some of the, the criticism here, specifically when it comes to countries like China. China wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger going to China, specifically in the 70s and saying, hey, uh, you're our puppets now. You're going to do our bidding. And China's like, it's easy. And they did it. They did. Let's just be real here. They did it. 
Uh, they implemented a one-child policy. They erect their local population to where China is still significantly dealing with major problems, especially when it comes to their replacement levels, which are very low. Um, they are instituting a lot of very interesting policies, but also it's very hard to believe what's happening in China right now because there's a lot of disinformation. There's a lot of propaganda. Oh, sorry there. And there's the state who essentially is always propping themselves up, saying, government good, we did good, people are good. How do we how do we believe them and how, how could they be a, a sort of representation when they're so repressive and they destroy any aspect of critical free speech? You criticize the government automatically you you lose your access to high-speed internet you lose uh, your ability to travel on planes on trains you lose an, an ability to even shop at a supermarket or to put your child in a nice school because you had political ideas that went up against the state. How is that, uh, you know, something to, to, to kind of look at and saying, yeah, the people are doing good? I'll address that, but I'll also say in the Fed and uh, basket commodity currency, I think those are both good things. So we right. agree there. We right. agree there. And China's actually doing that through BRICS. Basket. I know. I, so know. I think it's good. Uh, they're they're going to they're gonna actually beat us competing in a, in a more legitimate fashion, even though they're a centrally planned economy, because we are also a centrally planned economy. And people don't people in America think that we have a free market. It's yeah, ridiculous. I, I would say you already got your way here, Jackson. We, we have <laughs> stakeholder <laughs> capitalism, which is essentially socialism, which is essentially uh, the government's coming in and controlling every every aspect, destroying small business, destroying small enterprises. They, I would say you, you won. They <laughs> got their way. Yeah. The Trotsky's. Yeah. So like uh, I just had a conversation with Alex Jones and he has this viral clip where he says, you know, that we're run by Trotskyists and they're the problem. And uh, I wanted to dive into that with him. And he fully agrees with me. We're basically, you know, people say we live in a capitalist country. We really, if you break it down, we're really run by Trotskyists. And uh, Trotsky and Stalin and Lenin obviously all had uh, diverging views, um, both Stalin and Lenin and Trotsky. But I think that uh, Trotskyism at its core today represents itself through this, you know, globalist ruling class of oligarchs that seek to only enrich themselves. So can I just add something real quick? The, the progenitors of of neoconservatism are actually Trotskyites. So, like, he's not wrong. Like, that's actually where their ideological uh, brethren, you know, arose. World Economic Forum, all those guys. Yep. So. Uh, I think they, I think they got their communism, but it's not, it's not Stalinism, it's not Marxism, Marxism, Leninism, or anything like that. But uh, as for the suppression of free speech in China, I mean, they don't have free speech. But also, if you break it down, I mean, there was this viral clip on uh, I saw on Twitter this past week of a local Communist Party meeting. And uh, what happened was there was the they they have like a local board of officials that make decisions and answer the public. And there was about 30 people in the room and they all turned on the board, started yelling at them. And I was like, you know, if that can happen in China and, and the, the board member was eventually removed for whatever discrepancy they had on the issue at hand. But I'm like, that can happen in China. But in the U.S., you could have 68 percent of Americans that all pose the official policy regarding Israel. Nothing changes. You can't get 68 percent of Americans agree on much of anything uh, in China. They have people say, you know, the Communist Party of China is just like centralized rule. There's no um, varying in ideals or anything like that. That's not true either. They have like 30 plus different factions within the party. They even have Jeffersonian Democrats. So I think a lot of what we hear in America about China is actually lies and propaganda. Um, 
I don't yeah. disagree with that. No, no. There's a lot of fake news out there, and there's a lot of uh, warmongers that try to make China out as a, as a bigger threat. Mm. But I think, uh, for me, the way that I see China is kind of this kind of globalist playground. You see Bill Gates go over there. You see a lot of our billionaires go over there. You see BlackRock participating a lot with their economy as well. And their participation is concerning because, for, for me, from what I see, there's more of a bigger relationship there between the internationalists, between the globalists, than a lot of people let on to. I mean, Bill Gates is literally going over to China and building small nuclear reactors. <laughs> like, mm. what? Like, he's not doing that here in America. He's doing that for China. Echo Health Alliance, Peter Daszak, they all went over to China to, to work on some, uh, again, we're here on YouTube. We can't talk about this stuff, but they worked on some uh, very interesting, uh, you know, um, Pathogens. I'll just leave it at that. They happen to be airborne. You may have yeah, heard yeah, of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> through, through, you know, penguins and bats. You know, just, uh, what markets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I, I see China as a, a larger kind of experimentation playground for a lot of these kind of globalists, where they also get to have their way, just like they are with the American politicians that they buy off, or they go to those private islands, or they do some really horrible things at the Bohemian Grove. Uh, those people are compromised there, but the the top ruling class is able to do what they want with America. And I think they're able to do what they want with China as well, as there's a lot of relations there that I think kind of contradicts uh, maybe what you might be calling for. I, I would say that I think that these business leaders, tycoons, whatever, oligarchs, whatever we call them, uh, they go to China. They try to do business with China because China's got a population three to four times the size of ours. <laughs> China is an economy that within several decades probably is going to surpass the United States's. Uh, in terms of purchasing power parity, it's already surpassed the United States by a great leap. Um, and I think that the difference is in America, those oligarchs control all of our resources, and I think that's appalling. In China, uh, it is more, it's more split. I mean, you have far more... Um, not just collective ownership, because collective ownership isn't Marxism-Leninism necessarily, but you have a greater share of the pot of meat and potatoes resources that are shared amongst the public and in the public hands and that answer to public needs than we have here. So I think they just go there to do business with them. China does business with whoever, maybe sometimes to their detriment, but they just want to do business. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's largely true. Um, you know, the the one issue I would, would have with that description is that well, well, they may, you know, be providing more to their people. It's also because they, they have a lot more poor people than we do in America. Um, I would also add that I think that the American economy is, is the, the problem with the American economy is that it's too much like the Chinese economy, in my estimation, that, that you have this technocratic elite, you have these oligarchs that ultimately control all of the resources because of their relationship to the government, not because of their monopolistic practices in terms of outcompeting and suppressing competition. They suppress the competition through state action. And I think that's where the, the primary critique should be leveled against the people that are really running this country. One of the questions I would have for you is, is there a version of your kind of uh, communism or, or way of government that ever has been tried before? Um, like I said earlier, I think that you have to recognize that each country is their own country. They're going to have like in, in China, they call it socialism with Chinese characteristics. Right. And every country has their own uh, you know, developmental course. Uh, China considers what the, the, the era they are in right now is socialism and moving towards communism. 
so I think that uh, I think China is a great example of success, but I don't think you can say in America it's going to be exactly like the Chinese government. Yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult to kind of navigate uh, all of this, especially with kind of the larger kind of uh, repressive nature of of this kind of I, I would say top down control. I think that's the, uh, would would you say that's correct? Because like me and Clint, I believe in 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 the opposite of that. I don't believe authority should come top down. I think it should be decentralized. I think economies should be free. I think the free market should be able to speak for themselves. We definitely do not have a free market. But I don't want to sound like one of those communists who's like. My version of communism was never tried <laughs> because when you look at capitalism, there are some faults in capitalism as mm -hmm. as well. But but to, to me, when it comes to helping the poorest people, if, if you look at history and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it is capitalism and energy, specifically oil, that has freed more people, liberated more people and uplifted more people than any other kind of ideology or kind of asset out there. I think oil, capitalism are, whether people like it or not, the biggest assets to the poorest people in this world? Uh, well, China is the largest alleviator of global poverty in the world right now. According to their shot. own statistics. No, there's like international groups that like the United Nations, the IMF recognizes that as well. They also have the largest population. So if yeah. they were to succeed, yeah. that would be the case. Yeah, but I mean... In terms but, but they of, are only successful because of America's participation and involvement in their economy, I would say. I guess you could make the argument if you consider involvement the exporting of American manufacturing to yes. China. But Which I David mean, Rockefeller did with um, Henry Kissinger. And, and this is the deal that they made. Like, hey, China, you take all of our factory jobs. Uh, you do whatever. Have some slave labor. We don't care. We're not going to do anything. Import all the cheap products here. And you buy our treasuries. And you buy our treasuries. And, and they have. And they're selling them off now. Now they're screwing the dollar. And I think uh, anyone who can, who says that Amer uh, China is a puppet of the U.S. I think is sorely mistaken. And history will be the ultimate judge. But uh, China doesn't answer to the United States. And I mean, if they want to bring in manufacturing, I think that's good for them. I wish we kept it. But I mean, that's they I, they took the opportunity and they did it. And now, you know, their economy's moving forward and a lot of those exploitative companies that were doing like the slave labor, like Foxconn, they're moving to other countries. They, you know, Taiwanese company, now it's moving to Indonesia, a lot of its factories. But I think that um, China, China is, uh, you know, the standard of living in America is going down. So you could say China's got the largest population or not, or one of the largest populations. Uh, but America has a huge population, too. Our standard of living is going down. Life expectancy is going down. Uh, Chinese cities look beautiful. They look like it's like Blade Runner, but all perfect and stuff. It's, it's incredible. Um, so I think that uh, I don't know what the question was, but I think they've done a good job. Well, I, I think that the, the argument I would make on this is that the reason that, that China has lifted so many of their poor out of poverty is largely because they liberalized their, their market. They opened it up to outside trade. They, they came away from kind of this totalitarian approach that ultimately had a lot of people starve underneath it. And now, you know, it's, it's interesting that they say they're in the socialist phase because I think that's like they're actually pulling away from communism back towards socialism, back towards kind of a, a liberal, I don't know if it's democracy, but some quasi quasi open market. And I think that's really what's benefited them. I'm personally, uh, you know, an all in totally open market and and minimal, if any government at all. And I think because they've headed that direction, that's what's lifted people out of poverty, as opposed to the centralized aspect of their yeah, economy yeah, doing yeah. so. China's journey to where they are now has been very turbulent, especially when it came to their kind of central controlling of farms and farmlands that led to a lot of famine. Um, was that price worth it? 
Um, well, first of all, I'll just say that I think there's a lot of misconceptions about like, you know, the, the turbulency, who caused it, what's actually responsible. I mean, people point to the same thing in like uh, the Soviet Union with, I mean, we're on YouTube, we can't talk about yeah. it. Yeah, we're going to be eight minutes, we're going over to Rumble. So, so you know, we, they, we can save the question for later, too, yeah. if that's well, okay. Uh, okay, so getting back to your last point, then, uh, you brought up oil and capitalism. I, I think I address the, the China's largest alleviator of global, pov uh, global poverty right now, but also oil. Uh, like I said, I mean, I'm not a crazy blue-haired lefty. I think oil has been an alleviator of po poverty. It's a, it's a cheap resource. It's easy to get. I don't think it's a fossil fuel, as they say. I think, it's, I think that's a sham, but um, I think nuclear is the next thing, and I think it doesn't really go against the orthodoxies of Marxism-Leninism to invest in that and share their resources with the people. I think the problem is in America, uh, all these resources are controlled by select few and they don't really benefit the people. So, I mean, just look right now, we're, going, we're starting all these wars and wherever because Joe Biden doesn't want to build the Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah. You know? Well, uh, one last question before we go over to Rumble, and that is what would you say to people like me and a lot of the Cubans here that kind of lived through communism, their families went through communism, their lives were ruined by it. What would be your sales pitch? Because automatically communism, I think um, the, the destruction of local populations, I think the destructions of civil liberties, of personal freedoms, of, of the First Amendment and repression. Like my mm -hmm. family members have been uh, you know, imprisoned, tortured by where, the state in where Poland. Are you from? Uh, I was born oh, and raised in Poland. Poland. Um, I was still a very young baby during the official kind of uh, Soviet block times. But the, the stories that my family has are absolutely just crazy and mind boggling, especially stories of my uncle who is specifically uh, tortured for not having his documents um, uh, ready for the state. Meanwhile, he was one of the more favorable individuals of the state. So, mm -hmm. it, so what would you say to individuals who are automatically kind of apprehensive to these larger ideas and 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 see them as repressive, uh, anti-human ideas? Uh, well, I will say regarding Poland that I think it's an interesting. It, it's a really interesting country because it's like one of the only, it's the main Soviet bloc state that the living conditions got substantially better uh, almost immediately once they once they left and have gotten far better uh, moving forward. And I think that's because Poland has basically, I mean, it didn't have much in terms of resource wealth. And now it's just become like, a, you know, if you if you take like the age-old adage of a uh, what are you, the the welfare queen it's become the welfare queen of the eu i mean like without the eu dumping germany generating all these profits and then they're dumping all these eu slush funds into poland each and every year i mean i don't think poland would be that good right now so i think um the notion that capitalism brought poland prosperity is kind of a lie but uh, I think that, yeah, the repression, you know, I, I think that that's obviously not good. I think you could get we could get into the details about why stuff like that happened. I, I'm an Orthodox Christian, so I, I have an interesting perspective on it all. People criticize me for being a communist as an Orthodox Christian. But um, the last thing I'll say before we go to rumble is that when you look at when you look at countries today like Russia and China, they have a lot of censorship, but a lot of that censorship is done in an effort to maintain their, uh, you know, their social integrity and make sure that, you know, these three letter agencies like the CIA and, 
you know, their subsidiaries like the National Endowment for Democracy don't come in and foment regime change operations and coups and color revolutions and stuff that we've seen in other countries. So I think that you have to protect your country and there's a healthy level of censorship with regard to that if you're not the U.S. right now. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a problem. Yeah, respectfully, I would I would see things a little bit differently. But I think the conversation was very fascinating and very interesting. And I thank you for for having it because it's not easy to walk into a room and then you got an anarchist and a libertarian oh, sitting against you. But I but I think a lot of people took a lot from that conversation, and I think it was it was it was it was a very uh, interesting one. We got a little bit of a super chats uh, before we head over to Rumble. One by Diego Salivar, who gave uh, a thousand I think Boliviars, Argentinian pesos, Argentinian pesos. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, they don't really. It's 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 like a thousand, <laughs> but I think it's like worth five bucks American. Uh, but he wrote melee one, even in their own turf, fifty six percent to forty four percent. Oh, that's incredible, man! Yeah, so uh, that's great news coming out of Argentina, according to my own personal opinion. We got another super chat here by Alan Tanis saying, "I met a Marxist once. Ended up." Hooking up with his girlfriend when he found out, I told him sharing is caring isn't what that we are all about. He was pissed. LOL. That's a super chat by him. I don't know. If you guys want to respond, feel free to respond, but don't feel any need to respond to that. Uh, Red Viking gave another super chat saying, Jackson, I was a first mover following you before you hit 10,000 from the start of SMO and loved your coverage, uh, covering. But I don't agree with you on Israel. Okay, we'll talk about Israel and the Middle East on Rumble. Uh, Jasper Rose says, when is Hinkle going to come clean about his lies, about the hospital? We'll get into all that other stuff uh, on Rumble. Bloody Mary, from the river to the emoji that we can't say here, <laughs> uh, Palestine uh, will be free. This is a super chat that we got from uh, Blood Mary. Thank you all for your super chats. Thank you all for your support. Now head over to rumble.com. You don't even have to find us. You just go to the front page. We are on the front page right now next to my two best friends, Viva uh, Frey and uh, Barnes, who uh, are live with us as well. Just go to rumble.com and click here. We are on the front page, second recommended to everyone, and it's more imperative. Not a lot of you people do this. I don't know why you still want to be on Alphabet, Google-controlled social media. We have so many different conversations, so many different spicy things that I've been biting my tongue on. There's so many things that we could get into specifically that are awesome and incredible and so important for the general public to find out. But we can't discuss it here on YouTube, which is crazy. It's mind-boggling and pisses me off, but... Let's get the Kyles, let's get the Karens, let's get the Normies, let's get the NPCs. Let's head over. Come on, guys. It's easy. It's quick. Rumble.com. That's all you got to do. You don't even have to look for us. You don't have to search for us. Rumble.com. Go there. And because you do, we're going to have a really awesome continuation of this conversation. Before we do, before we leave YouTube, Jackson, where can people find you? can find me on, on Rumble as well, The Dive with Jackson Hinkle, or on X at Jackson Hinkle. Clint? Liberty Lockdown over on YouTube or Rumble and uh, Targeting is on Wednesdays. We we delete all the episodes off YouTube because they're totally insane and we put them all over on Rumble. So you should probably subscribe there too. Uh, but yeah, YouTube, Liberty Lockdown, at Liberty Lock Pod on X. If you guys want to subscribe, I would appreciate the support. Steph? Steph, Steph, we are change on Instagram. Don't forget, sign up on LukeUnfiltered.com. Members will be calling in soon through LukeUnfiltered.com. Rumble.com. See you there. I love you guys. Thank you so much for all the super chats and all the support. As of course, the stream 
continues on. There's a 20 second delay, but now officially <sighs> we could breathe a sigh of relief. And uh, Jackson, feel free to say anything you want. Uh, again, uh, sorry, 20-second delay of the guy working out. Uh, it's okay. You guys could wait. Jackson, sorry, you got cut off there. So just restart from your perspective. I think we lost you at you saying that you actually like uh, Ron Paul, who, by Ron the way, Paul. who, by the way, is is a, a, a star and an angel on my Christmas tree. Yeah, I so. love that, too. I saw that when I walked in. That was the first thing. I was like, all right, we're in the right house. Uh, no, I think that I, I like Ron Paul a lot. Daniel McAdams is... Um, I don't know what his official role is at the Ron Paul Institute, but I know he's uh, he, he's influ he's uh, integral to the operation in the show. But um, someone asked him, "Is uh, is Javier Millet the the new Ron Paul or Ron Paul effect something something around that?" And he said, "No, because Javier Millet, when it comes to his foreign policy, is directly opposed to everything that Ron Paul stands for." He calls China assassins. He says, I don't want any good relations with China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela. And uh, he's exactly like the establishment in the U.S., Joe Biden, when it comes to Ukraine and, unfortunately, when it comes to Israel. So I think that the guy's a total fraud, but I do think he's funny and charismatic and that can carry someone far. I think I think the, the state of Argentina needs anything right now to help it because I, I i know a couple argentinians i know the state of their economy and it is absolute shit like it is fucked what's happening there to the people having their money devalued by let's just be honest here a lot of leftist liberal institutions that have taken over and literally started printing money out of thin air uh pushing all these larger kind of uh, socialistic kind of ideas so javier on there he was recently seen with the israeli flag as well which he's getting a lot of criticisms for i've been tweeting about him all day and people are just responding with him just uh, <laughs> flying around that israeli flag and I'm like, um, I, I, like, okay, whatever, whatever's your point of view, it don't matter. I'm really excited about him bringing things like Bitcoin and other kind of 
decentralized innovations to the, the, the people of Argentina. I'm really excited to have a lot of the big bureaucracy cut out of Argentina. I'm really excited at Argentina being given another chance because right now it, it's literally going down the same pathway of Zimbabwe. I've been to Zimbabwe and holy fucking cow, the people there had to deal with some crazy adversities because of government printing, mm -hmm. almost just as bad as the government printing in Argentina that robbed them of all of their wealth and all of their money. Yeah, I, I actually agree with a lot of his critiques of Malay. Um, you know, his foreign policy is shit, but I don't think that the Argentinian uh, military or their military industrial complex is a real a real issue in the same way that the American one is. So I'll, I'll set that aside and, and just assume that he won't actually be sending troops to go fight against these nations, in which case he basically will be taking a non-interventionist stance, uh, rhetoric aside, which would be in alignment with Ron Paul. Uh, but I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see Argentina invading Iran anytime I, soon. I, so, unless they no. want to lose really no. badly, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just say to that point, the, the problem I see with that is not necessarily like a intervention breaking out or something, but... Uh, Argentina, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they're party to the Belt and Road Initiative. And I, I, I mean, I'm not an Argentinian, so they do whatever they want to do. I don't care. But I just feel as though uh, Italy tried to go down this path and it didn't go well for them when they were looking at it. But I feel as though leaving the Belt and Road Initiative is not really a great idea. I think they should be pushing more along with that, more along with BRICS. And uh, Mille is diametrically opposed. Yeah, he talked about even uh, getting rid of the local currency there and replacing it with a U.S. dollar, which a lot of people are saying, well, is he working for, you know, the, the, the printers of the U.S. dollar? But when you go to Latin America, when you go to places like Venezuela or, or Caracas, I've, I've been there. I've done my uh, reporting there from on the ground. It, everyone's just using dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, dollars are kind of universal all throughout the world. As It is still the reserve currency that... China and Russia and all these other Middle Eastern countries are, are threatening as well, which brings us to the perfect segue to what's happening right now in the Middle East. As I would say, we're, we're, we're facing a situation where, correct me if I'm wrong from, from your perspective, the Muslim world is kind of more united more than ever. And I think China played a very significant role in that, especially when it came to their ending the war in Yemen and bringing Iran and Saudi Arabia together. Geopolitically, looking at the larger picture, I, I don't see a favorable situation for Israel as we have have the Sunnis and the Shiites and the Muslim world coming more together than ever as they're uh, creating a lot of different conflicts, a lot of different fights, as just even moments ago, we had the Israeli government announce we are going to be fighting anywhere and everywhere, including Lebanon, including Jordan, we will, including Egypt. We will fight wherever we have to. Um, and obviously the Israeli strategy here is, is one that has to deal a lot with its kind of position, its location that is not geopolitically and strategic uh, for, for its people and its population, especially with how small number of people it has there. But how do you see all of this kind of unfolding? As right now we have reporting from NBC News highlighting how specifically poll numbers for Joe Biden are just hitting a new all-time uh, low because of the Israel-Hamas war. We have other reportings from the Times of Israel talking about how Netanyahu would be absolutely trouched by his political opponents if there was, there was elections held today. What's your perspective on this larger kind of geopolitical situation unfolding there? Because for me, this is one that is not advantageous for the country or the people of Israel. Yeah, no, it's not. I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's advantageous, obviously, for us. You know, these Zionists, they keep saying, like, oh, it's in our best interest. And I'm like, it's in our best interest to piss off every single, like, Gulf state, every Arab state uh, with all the oil they have and gas they have. I'm like, that doesn't really sound like it's in my best interest. And then all the tax dollars going there, too. But uh, 
I think that uh, a ceasefire would be in the best interest of Israel right now because um, the world's turning. Even the U.S. public is turning for the first time really on Israel based upon the horrific war crimes that are being committed. And if, you know, Israel wants to maintain as a state, I would not recommend that they entertain the idea of like a full Arab conflict with all these countries and with the Persians, Iran, that's not a good idea either. And uh, Turkey, Turkey's even saying, Turkey, hey, well, we will invade Israel. Like, yeah, that, that's that, that's a NATO member state saying, hey, we're going to attack Israel, which is just destroying all of the Western yeah. alliances and, that and, people thought they had. And mind you, Israel is not a member of NATO. So you have a NATO member. Whereas America is obviously the real daddy of NATO, and NATO, and they are backing and funding and arming the Israeli side. So you, this could actually be the end of NATO as we know it, which from a libertarian perspective, I'm all on board with. But uh, I don't want to see a world war break out, and that's the reason NATO falls. Quite the contrary. We got a Rumble rant by Adon19 saying, thank you, Liquid. Thank you, Adon19, and thank you all the Rumble rumblers. Um, they, they call it their own weird, unique things. But sorry, we cut you off, Jackson. Uh, go ahead. Continue with your thoughts. No, I think that I think I 100% agree with you. Uh, Stop it. Stop it, you Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> Marxists and libertarians will unite. I, it's, it's fucking Anarchist. weird, though. I have gotten along better with the fucking Marxists over the past year than I have uh, pretty much any other group. It's very strange to me. I, like, our only disagreement really is property rights and, and free market capitalism versus centralized, you know, top down economic models. And I don't know. I don't know how the fuck we uh, we agree on so much. <laughs> it's no. It, it, it uh, shouldn't be scary to us. It should be scary to them. Yeah. Right. 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 But this is why this is actually why they don't want people like us talking because then they realize like oh shit they actually agree on eighty percent of things like that's yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, going back to the Israel thing, I think it's in the best. Uh, it's in their best interest. It, if if a full war breaks out, I mean, obviously Israel has the nukes. Do they use them? Do they not? I don't know. But they could. Google Samson option if you think he's lying. Yeah, yeah. And it's in violation of uh, the Symington Amendment, which is U.S. law. It says we can't, you know, we can't provide military aid to this uh, nuclear power that we're not allied with. So that is, in, they, they don't say that they have the nukes, but they do. Everyone knows. So I think um, if war breaks out, all those Israelis are going to go back to wherever they are from, Europe, wherever, Germany, wherever they're from, Russia, a lot of them. And um, I just don't think it's good for the future of the Israeli state to continue going along this path of crossing every single red line that the Arab states are putting forward. It seems like it's a lot of hot air what they're saying, saying like, oh, we're going to protect Gaza, we're going to intervene. They haven't done anything yet. But how many red lines do you want to cross before you eventually find out that, you know, we, we crossed the wrong, the wrong red line? Well, they, they've been, uh, you know, getting bombarded by Hezbollah in Lebanon for uh, a month now, yeah. off and on. So it's not as if it's all bluster. I mean, you do have some neighboring nations that, that seem to be serious about this. And the, the rhetoric is heating up. The, the populations on the ground in Turkey is the one that I'm most concerned about, as Luke, Luke stated earlier. Look, they can they can have, according to uh, General Douglas McGregor, millions of troops spun up in a matter of 30 days if they're fucking serious about this. If that happens, well, then, yeah, Israel is existentially threatened at that point, in which case nukes come into play. Does anybody want to see that? So my personal opinion is you withdraw funding, you withdraw arming from the Israeli side. Obviously, I believe in withdrawing funding from all foreign conflicts as well as all nations in terms of aid period uh but if you were to do that i think the israelis would actually approach the negotiating table with hopefully the pa 
but you got to talk to Hamas. They have the terror. They have the uh, the hostages, and and see if you can if you can you know have cool, cooler minds prevail. Yeah. Well, the Muslim Brotherhood has a lot of influence in Turkey, and essentially Hamas is kind of like a, a larger influence a aspect yep. of the Muslim Brotherhood as well. But again, the Muslim world is united, um, and 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 clearly the situation there to me it's just not advantageous for me uh, personally. If Israel was going to deal with this situation, they they could have dealt with it in a totally different way and in a totally different per- perspective where they could have gone after the, the bad guys. They have Mossad. They assassinated people before. They had targeted strikes before. It's what they specialize in, this for God's sake. This is what they're, they're, they're good at. They, they were able to catch uh, a lot of the Germans that fled to Argentina and literally take them back and have their day in court, which I, I think is, is definitely, it, it's easy to say this because um, again, we're just watching all of this, but from from my perspective, this larger kind of situation that they have involved themselves in doesn't help them, doesn't help their people, and it doesn't help the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu is in a very poor political place to the point where everyone keeps saying, after this war's over, then we're going to kick out Benjamin Netanyahu. But if you're Benjamin Netanyahu, why would you end a war that mm-hmm. ends your political career? That's another question that I think a lot of people should be asking themselves with what's going on here, as there are a lot of Israelis that are not happy uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu. There's a lot of Palestinians that are not happy with Hamas. And I think, I, mean, I made a tweet about this. Some people are like, oh, you're corny, but but I don't care. I, I think those voices, those individuals matter a lot. Uh, those are Israeli voices, those Palestinian voices, those voices in the middle who are, are, are being held responsible for the actions of, of a larger representative government that uh, is leading them astray, in my opinion. I don't know if you agreed with any of those statements or, or disagreed with any of those statements, but I know you've been very vocal about this. Some people have said that you've been one-sided on this issue. Would you agree with that kind of criticism? Um, I guess uh, I have my sympathies. I think true understanding comes by being biased. Like, look at Destiny, for example, the streamer Destiny. You know, it's like, he uh, he wanted to debate Norman Finkelstein, whose parents uh, or grandparents were victims of the Holocaust, and he's pro-Palestinian. He's a he's a very accomplished author and and a scholar on the matter. And Destiny said, "I want to debate Norman Finkelstein. I'm pro-Israel." He actually said, "I'm pro-genocide," if you can believe it. Wow. And um, Destiny's the guy who, you know, he he tried to take a U.S. state quiz this week and he got a 62% on the test. Like, he doesn't even know U.S. states. He's trying all week to study for this um, this Israel-Palestine debate he wanted to have against Norman Finkelstein. But at the end of the day, he's just like, he's a streamer. He does this stuff for clicks, and I guess we all kind of do stuff for clicks. But, like, he's not... He's not extremely biased in one way or another. He's watching like random Arafat videos on the internet, trying to get a complex understanding of this very, very um, nuanced issue. So I think you have to be biased to truly understand one side or another mm. or both. But I think um, I think that uh, one thing I'll say is that I think there, there's a lot of people who say, uh, you know, there's a lot of Palestinians who don't agree with Hamas. And we don't really know. I mean, I've seen polls say... 50% support Hamas. And then I see some polls that say like 85% support Hamas. We don't know. But with every single Israeli bomb that takes out a family, you know, and there's like... It goes a, up one more percent. Yeah. There's yeah. like a, you know, there's a brother, there's a cousin left behind that Israel's bombs are the best recruiters for Hamas at the end of the day. So... 
It's just as the drone strikes in Libya, Syria, Lebanon, all, all and, over and from... Somalia. I, I remember doing uh, on-the-ground reporting in, in Mogadishu, Somalia, and I talked to a farmer there, and he had 12 members of his family members killed by U.S. Special Forces, and Black Hawk helicopters just came into his village and murdered his family when he wasn't there. Yeah. That right there, he was—he was telling me. I was talking to him. I was inside uh, of of Somalia, and he was saying the main reason we have a radicalization problem is is because of what happened to my family. I have to stop myself from not hating uh, you as an American. I have to stop myself because. Your, your government did this to my family and wiped them all out. You can still see the interview. YouTube heavily censored uh, that interview with the local farmer that I talked to uh, in, in Mogadishu. But people don't understand this kind of vicious cycle of violence that doesn't just happen to Somalis or Palestinians. It, it, it happened uh, also to, to, to some Israelis as well. And I, and I think it's, it's important to call out both of the sides here. Any life loss of innocence only radicalizes more people. And sadly, we're living in a day and age where we're having a lot of these images rebroadcasted over and over and over again. And they do have a deeper psychological effect where people are now more emotional rather than logical. So where do you kind of stand? How do you, how do you try to decipher that? Do you try to decipher it? Do you try to uh, not get into your emotions? Or would you say what you're doing is more kind of related to activism rather than journalism? Um, I don't know. I, d I don't... Uh... Obviously, I have very clear views, and same thing with the Russia-Ukraine war. I'm, I'm, I'm just so pro-Russia, you wouldn't even believe it in that war. So, I think, uh, I think that, yeah, I guess I try to use my social medias to influence a ceasefire in Ukraine or a ceasefire or whatever in in Gaza. But it doesn't really matter because I'm an American, and yeah, my taxpayer dollars, all of our taxpayer dollars, are going to one side or another. But uh, I think the main thing that I try to do is just expose the lies. Like, I think that's fair. You know, you can, you can sit on one side or another, but if you're exposing lies, you're exposing lies and you don't necessarily want to impact the outcome by just exposing lies. And I think what we've seen in Israel is a lot of lies from October 7th onward that are being used to justify genocide that they're carrying out against Gaza. And just today we saw another one of those lies. We saw, uh, they, they, uh, they said that, Hamas killed nearly 2,000 civilians inside of Gaza. And then like two weeks later, they said, wasn't 2,000, it was about 1,400. And then they said, well, yeah, it's 1,400, but we have the names of all of them here, and half of them are military personnel. And then they said, we're going to revise it one more time, and it was actually about 1,200 civilians. The other were burned bodies that were actually Hamas soldiers. Then you ask, how are they burned? Hamas came over with the rifles and the RPGs on their fucking paragliders you know it's like they they couldn't have burned entire homes and cars and now we're learning through a israeli report in haaretz citing a israeli police uh, investigatory team member saying that israeli apache attack helicopters that were called in were, were killing a lot of these people on accident crossfire whatever but uh i think it's important to break down those lies and expose what's really happening yeah i i think personally both sides are lying here and i think both of them do need to be called out here but i have the report that you're talking about now by by haaretz uh dealing specifically with uh, footage of uh israeli helicopters blowing up a lot of cars and i and i did find it strange that uh during the whole music festival there was a huge uh, amount of cars just all blown up and i'm like how many 
how many you know uh, freaking rockets do you need to, to blow all these cars up? And now we're getting the official reporting from Israeli sources that uh, a lot of the pilots made mistakes here, or some would say deliberately uh, took out some of the individuals here, as of course the Israeli policy when it comes to civilians and individuals being captured also is something that has been highly debated as well to what it actually is. Well, there, I mean, since we're on Rumble and we can actually speak our minds, I... I don't have a firm conclusion, but I'll say this. At some point, the the level of deception and the amount of civilian murders from the Israeli government against their own people, uh, you have to ask yourself sincerely if this was a false flag or or at least amplified in such a fashion. Because uh, it doesn't make sense that you could get hundreds and hundreds of Hamas members across one of the most highly monitored, high-tech fucking machine gun dogs on this border, you have hundreds of these guys are able to get across. They're not encountered or, or really engaged with in a serious fashion for upwards of seven hours. The, then it comes out that the the death tolls are lies. I mean, he he listed off most of this, but I'm just I'm just adding to it. There's a lot that smells well, they, fucking they, they, weird. They here. had the corporate media embedded with Hamas from like from well, all the corporate media sources, well, like well, on the ground videotaping. How the hell did they know? How did they get the the drop off? And I, I Mossad heard, didn't. I heard that story was actually debunked. Do you know if that if that was true? I didn't hear that story, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, that that was a story that you had, uh, you know, mainstream journalists that were writing on the back of fucking motorcycles with Hamas terrorists as they go into Israel. It's like, what? This just doesn't add up. So there's there's just so much here. And and the truth is, is that Netanyahu was on his way out in the months just leading up to this. All of the, like, there was a lot of reason to be skeptical as to his benefits from this type of attack, because usually people, when they're attacked, will will just get, you know, uh, galvanize behind their leader, no matter how, how much they hate him. Look at fucking George Bush in 2001. That's scumbag. And then he goes and he, bl- he blows up a bunch of nations that had nothing to do with it, right? Well, I think that it's really important that we get to the truth as to the, the real circumstances between or behind October 7th before we just go, yeah, go ahead and flatten fucking Gaza with a million uh, children living there. Let's, let's see how that works out. Mm-hmm. The, the reporting from the Washington Post today is saying that the United States did broker a peace deal. They're still waiting for the official approval and the official announcement of this. But they're officially announcing that a lot of the women and children hostages will be exchanged for a ceasefire for five days here. Uh, what's your reaction uh, uh, to this? And how do you see this kind of unfolding from here? Well, I feel like it's... Uh if you had like a if you had like a six foot tall middle school bully that was beating the crap out of like a little scrawny kid and then the teacher came over and was like whoa 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 this needs to stop for, for a few minutes like <laughs> the, this the scrawny nerd is just hungry let's give him some food and then walks away and lets the the beating to continue to unfold so i think it's not really anything i mean before the war began gaza was getting about like 400 to 500 trucks of aid in each and every day and now, you know, I, I don't know what the stats are right now, but I, I'd imagine it's still like probably within the realm of like maybe like 20 trucks a day or something of aid. It's it's nothing. So um, I, 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 I don't really care about this. I think it's um, Hamas's goal, as uh, they claim, is, you know, there's a lot of Palestinian political prisoners in Israeli prisons that are being tortured, held without any charge whatsoever. They want to get those people freed as they've done in the past, and they can get a whole lot of Palestinians freed for very few Israeli hostages transferred back over. So I think that they're um, achieving part of their goal, I guess. How do you see everything kind of... uh, Sorry, if you have something to say, Clint, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that 
you know, it's not for me, it's not so much the the hostage exchange, which is really the reason for this, because let's be honest, like, okay, so they get a couple thousand of their Palestinian, you know, POWs or whatever released from Israel's side. They've lost thousands and thousands. I mean, over 10,000, you know, uh, Palestinians have died so far. And God knows how many are going to, you know, die in the fallout of this war. So it doesn't make sense to me that that's that's really the reason that they would do it. Assuming this wasn't a false flag, assuming it was a legitimate attack, I think that the the real desire here is to have Israel's response be so brutal that the rest of the Muslim world intervenes and actually takes out Israel. I think that's really what their end goal is, and I'm I'm afraid that they might get it if like if I this five day ceasefire ends. I think that it could end up and and they just begin the the you know carpet bombing, but this time it's it's central Gaza as opposed to the north because mm-hmm. that's been the warning as of late. Well, it, then it looks like ethnic cleansing, and it might very fucking well be, and the rest of the Muslim world is going to see it crystal clear that that's what it is. And if they see that and they think that, well, then yeah, some really really bad shit could happen. And and also, uh, I I a hundred percent agree with that, and I think there's probably you know there's a lot of well-meaning people and probably correct people that are calling for a ceasefire who are Palestinian. But I think there's probably a lot of people who have more of an accelerationist sure. mindset that would say, let's, let's yeah, go. Let's just, you know? just make it as bloody as you have to. Yeah. Uh, That's and they, scary they, though. They, Israel would either nuke or be gone at that point. Right. So I, I get it. But uh, I think also the other side of it is uh, Hamas knew they were going to do this and Hamas knew that it potentially sparked this broader confrontation and they also knew that they were going to have to answer for Israel launching this invasion. And I think these Arab states are going to look at how far Israel goes and how you know much Hamas is able to defend themselves. But I'm posting the videos every day. The videos are crazy. You know, you have $3.3 million Merkavka tanks that Israel has left and right getting blown up at zero foot range by like uh, an adidas clad hamas fighter that goes and puts a explosive in it you know it's insane and there's so many of these videos i i don't know if you know hamas is going to get that help because of how relatively well i guess based upon what maybe some people assume they're doing at defending themselves so we'll see yeah no that's that's an interesting point and i you know what we've learned over the past few years is that uh you know a really intransigent uh Kind of what's it what's it called when you have the the fighters in Iraq? What do they call them? Not insurrectionists. Uh, I can't Insurgents. Insurgency. Thank yeah. you. Uh, when you have an insurgency from you know really devoted people that are, have had enough, they they put up a fucking unbelievable fight, and and they knew exactly what they were going to get because they have a, a tunnel system that Israel built, <laughs> so that they were able to utilize against the invading uh, IDF army, and it's. They, I, I've seen some statistics that are saying there's thousands of IDF soldiers that have been killed already. Which, if that's true, that's pretty fucking amazing because these people are so outgunned. Yeah. Well, Hamas are, are uh, known for being uh, international smugglers, so mm-hmm. they they've gotten their hands on a lot of the stuff that we paid for that was supposed to go to Ukraine. Uh, so there's also a lot of intel reports specifically detailing uh, laws uh, and a lot of advanced military hardware that goes after tanks, that goes after helicopters mm-hmm. that Hamas already, according to the U.S. intel reports, has in their possessions but oh. hasn't utilized or used yet. So, so far, the Israeli strategy that, that I've seen 
kind of unfold here is still a very limited one. If you look at the fighting that, that is happening in Gaza, it, it's still nothing. Because if you look at the positions that Israel has put themselves in, it's on flat terrain, open sand kind of terrain. They haven't gone into any kind of hill territory. They haven't gone into the territory that's going to be more advantageous for Hamas and their fighters in that specific region. So the fighting, according to some military analysts, hasn't even begun right now in Israel in, in Gaza. And then when it does, it's going to be a very brutal one because uh, if you're Israel, you're, 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 you're essentially bringing in tanks and infantrymen into these buildings that they're trying to flatten as much as they can that, that Hamas could just uh, you know take pot shots at these individuals and then quickly hide. So this is not going to be an easy war. It looks like right now Israel has cut Gaza in half. But all the positions that they're in are very easily conquerable uh, positions. The fighting, in my opinion, hasn't begun begun yet and could be going on for the next weeks, months, and even years. Well, the bombardment campaign that they that they implemented over the past 30 days has just created 10,000 different sniper nests. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that's if you look at the footage, it's just sniper nest after sniper nest if you're walking through any of these cities. And and as you were describing, they, they largely have not entered into those areas so far. And when they have, they brought in tanks and then these fucking just unbelievable savages right out there and they just plant yeah. a bomb right to a tank. I can't even imagine the type of cojones it takes to do yeah. that. Not that I'm trying to, you know, uh, pump up Hamas here. It's just fuck, like, if you actually watch the footage he puts out, it's unbelievable to witness. Yeah. Uh, it really blows my mind what people are capable of. Well, the footage is, is all over uh, social media, but, but for me, this is a, a conflict that's going to be drawn out. I think Israel wants to, of course, limit as much resources as they can to, to Gaza, to, to the fighters. I think this is going to be going on for the next few weeks, the next few months. And, you know, sadly, the longer this conflict goes on, the bigger chance we have of outside countries and forces coming in. And when they do, this would create just an avalanche of end of times, religious, biblical kind of fighting that many politicians, even here in America, are calling for, like Lindsey Graham, that is essentially calling for a larger holy war. We're in can a we, holy war. Yeah, can, can we not, can we not, like, do any of that insane, in, incredible, incredulous nonsense? You barely closeted homosexual, just come <laughs> yeah, out and start yeah. fucking dudes so you yeah. can stop blowing up kids, you yeah. lunatic. Yes, just be happy with yourself. It's okay, dude. It's like 2023. It's fine to be gay. It's okay, yeah, dude. It's Jesus. fine. And I think if he would, he came out, he would be less of yeah. a war hawk. He would be less of a of neocon, war-thirsty, fucking destructive Go make out with being. some dudes like you want to. Just get it out. Get it I know, out of your I know system. John McCain died and you're fucking heartbroken about it, but that doesn't mean that 20,000 fucking Palestinian children have to perish. This is absurd. <laughs> okay, okay. And I, I don't want to talk about the, the homosexuality of uh, Lindsey Graham <laughs> too much. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I do want to focus on the larger kind of perspective of what's going to be happening here. Uh, if you were a betting man, uh, what would be your projections to what's going to be happening in the Middle East from here? Um, I would not, I'd choose not to bet on this one. That's what I Got do. It. Yeah. It's like Israel is a casualty averse military. They usually stop any sort of conflict they're in once casualties reach about 2000. And I think, you know, as you just pointed out, even though they're admitting it's, they're still admitting it's like kind of high, but they're not admitting the true numbers. Obviously, I think it's probably surpassed two, two, three thousand casualties, KIA and injured for sure. But, um, I think that, um, uh, one one story I saw that was interesting, which I don't know if it's true, but I saw, you know, the, Israel has their war cabinet and the more uh, hardline uh, individuals within the cabinet are pushing uh, Israel to start launching attacks against Hezbollah in Lebanon. 
And Netanyahu actually said, no, we, we are not going to do that right now because we don't want to provoke Hezbollah into starting a, a full second front of the war. So I guess that would be good news if you don't want a full, you know, a full second front. I think a lot of these Arab nations are more concerned with their um, economic standings and potential, you know, normalization of ties with Israel. I don't think they want a full conflict. They'd rather just wave the Palestinian flag, have a speech and continue on with their day. But um so I don't know. I, I I I think if I were a betting man and you forced me gun against my head, I'd say not a full conflict. And Hamas might do a better job than we'd think of defending themselves, but they're going to both take a lot of casualties. Yeah. Uh, the the mil, the limited war doctrine that Henry Kissinger always spoke about kind of rings uh, to the larger tune of what I think is really happening here. As of course, you know, the, the larger war, I, I would even argue, is being fought through information. There's mm -hmm. lots of different disinformation. There's lots of propaganda. I wanted to ask you kind of two little bit pointed questions. The first one of, of, of which is, what do you think the biggest piece of disinformation was in this entire saga that you particularly uncovered? Um, I think that, uh, oh, the, 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 I don't know. There's like the 40 beheaded babies one. That one was crazy. The, um, the Hamas tunnels thing that's happening right now. I mean, that stuff's just insane. You know, they're, they're launching, they're doing raids on these hospitals with like babies and in incubators and, and they're using the Hamas tunnel lies a justification for it. And, uh, they, so you do not believe that the tunnels are there. Oh, they definitely have tunnels for sure. Okay. Yeah. But, that's what I thought. Uh, I mean, there's just no proof. We've never seen any proof that they have these tunnels underneath the Al-Shifa hospital or the uh, Ratisi hospital, for example. I mean, they said they told the, the Times in London, the Israeli Defense Forces told the Times in London that in the uh, Al-Ratisi hospital, however you say that, that they had, quote, clearly marked entranceways laid out for these Hamas tunnels. And then they took the hospital, and then two days later, the Times reported that the IDF soldiers were down there at the basement level of the hospital, which is a children's hospital, and they were ripping up tiles, excavating, trying to find the, the tunnels. So it's like, I thought you guys had the clearly marked hmm. entrances. So I, I, I just well, haven't seen any proof. Let, let me yeah, I, I think there's a new uh, video going around today specifically showing a, an Israeli drone by the hospital going in and then detailing some of the video footage yeah. that is not as edited as the one where we had one IDF soldier that uh, was kind of... Um, you know, he he was highlighting some things, but also some things he was bringing a lot of conjecture to. Let's just leave it at that. But oh. there is a new video footage showing near the hospital of a drone flying in and, and showing that just for full transparency's sake. Yeah, and let me also add that uh, Kim Iverson uh, said, I think it was yesterday, that the reason that they knew that the tunnel was underneath Al Shifa Hospital was because that was built by the IDF when they were under the full occupation. Mm -hmm. If that's true, then they do know that the that there's tunnels underneath that hospital. It doesn't mean that it's being used as some sort of HQ for Hamas or anything, but it is a an obvious. Uh, it could be a lie to justify going after a hospital, which obviously makes it much harder for Hamas's fighters to get back on the battlefield. Uh, it it's all very. I think that you should be very skeptical of any reports uh, coming out of this period. I mean, just as we learned in the early days of the Ukraine-Russia war, so much of that was deception. Uh, I just think that you should probably apply that same lesson here. Yeah, I agree with that. And while I'll say that I did see that video today, actually, the drone, mm -hmm. and I, I don't really know anything about it. I just briefly saw it. But 
the way these things usually work is like they say this is a tunnel and then 24 hours later it's like oh that's an elevator shaft you know, <laughs> right. but this one could be the tunnel you know who knows but <laughs> he's not lying by the way they no. have walked back yeah. like 30 different stories it's crazy but it could be that this is actually a tunnel we don't know and um what I think it, you brought up a good point that just because there is a tunnel doesn't mean they're actively using it. I'd go even one step further just because there's a tunnel way underground of these hospitals, way below any sort of penetration of an Israeli bomb could reach. Mm. Doesn't mean that they can blow up a full hospital. You I know? agree. It's so, a fucking war crime. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, even by their own logic, they say, well, there's these these tunnels deep underground. It's like, well, your your bombs can't even reach there. Go go act like men. Go in there and fight Hamas. Don't blow up the whole hospital, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and let me clarify one thing. It is also a war crime if you are in active warfare and you hide yourself behind civilians, but there has not so far been any evidence that that's actually occurring. There's just this fucking constant meme of that's mm. what they're doing, but then you actually, when you actually see them, I, it's, it's problematic, obviously, because many of the soldiers aren't armed in fucking full Hamas attire, so you can't really tell, uh, but there's really no evidence to prove that Hamas is, like, holding these people, they're keeping them from leaving, they're hiding behind, you know, children as they fire rockets, it's like, I, have you seen any footage of that ever? Because I have I'll, not. I'll, I'll say one last thing. I saw a f uh, photo that Israel posted on their own Twitter account, uh, I think it was three days ago, of... They they had their mags out, but it was Israeli soldiers with mm -hmm. rifles inside of a hospital. Uh, they claimed that they were doing aid work inside of a Gazan hospital, and then it turned out the photo was inside an Israeli hospital with these babies in incubators. And I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you guys are saying that hospitals in Gaza are a legitimate target because there's Hamas fighters deep underground the hospital, but here's Israeli soldiers who are in a declared war inside a Israeli hospital in Israel. Incredible, you know? man. So that makes that a legitimate target by that, their logic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also makes it a war crime for those IDF soldiers to be doing that. So it's... It's crazy. Well, to ask you the second kind of pointed question here, do you believe that you, whether on purpose or not on purpose, spread any information that wasn't true yourself? Yeah, for sure.
we are back. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are back. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, just another uh, 15 second intervention of, of Meili here <laughs> with the chainsaw doing his thing. Sorry, we, we cut you off here. Well, I think we lost audio when you were talking about you talking with the BBC about what happened with you and Haret. Yeah, so the BBC reached out to me and they they were like going after me for all this, uh, you know, community, you know, things. And I'm like, well, you guys should be focused on the largest purveyors of misinformation, which is like the Israeli government at this point, um, using this to justify genocide. But they kept bringing up the thing about Haaretz because Haaretz admitted that uh, Israeli tanks and Apache attack helicopters were active on October 7th. And I deduce from that that they were responsible for some of those graphic images of homes burned down, cars burned, whatever. And I posted it. And so they were they were just like grilling me about it. They wouldn't let it go. And they said, you made up that whole story, blah, blah, blah. There was no helicopters that killed civilians. Haaretz, I think, tipped off the BBC to call me because Haaretz actually, their, their attorney sent me a, a cease and desist threatening lawsuit for me posting that. And I just think it's so crazy because now, like a week after they threatened a lawsuit against me for posting that, and a week after the BBC called me and grilled me for, for like 20 minutes of that phone call about the, the Haaretz story, Haaretz themselves has come out with the report saying that an Israeli police officer on the team investigating the October 7th events said that uh, Apache attack helicopter was responsible for killing some of the revelers at the Nova Music Festival. So... I think um, I think when you when you ask about disinformation, everything ev everyone gets stuff wrong. You have to look at the motive, and you have to look at then uh, those that have the motive to lie on purpose. What are they using those lies for? Yeah, one of the situations that I think was was uh, also another kind of big fake news moment was the the bombing of the hospital that I think a lot of people fell for. Mm -hmm. I believe some people were saying that there was nine hundred people death uh, dead from that particular incident. What do you think was was the reasoning behind that? Since uh, a lot of people were were saying a lot of the reports that you know weren't true. Yeah, yeah, um, it was crazy to me because like the the reports were coming out and it kept saying it was like three hundred dead, five hundred dead. 900 dead, over a thousand dead. I'm like, whoa, 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 like there's probably a lot of people dead for sure. There's a hospital where, you know, like a lot of people were, were sheltering, but you, there's no way they counted a thousand dead people that quickly, you know, first yeah. of all. But the reports uh, were out when, within hours of the strike. So I was looking at it in minutes. My Twitter feed, yeah. it was like 500, a thousand. I'm like, Okay, let's be you know right. cautious here. You can't even count that high in that amount of time <laughs> as the news was breaking. And and then for the people that that are aware, this was pretty much a, a, an explosive that did go off inside of the parking lot with uh, the numbers still being in question, but some people saying uh, about a dozen people have passed away from that bombing. Which there's conflicting evidence showing that it could potentially even be a Hamas missile uh, that did this. Am I a missile forensic expert? No, but but for me that uh, argument is more plausible about what happened now. I don't know about you. I th I think. There was, I mean, I just saw, all I saw was the, 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 um, the footage, of course, the day of when the bombing of the hospital, the Baptist hospital took place and there was a lot of injured and probably a lot of dead. I saw the, uh, the events afterward where the Palestinian ministry of health gave a statement outside the hospital and there was more than a dozen dead bodies there. So unless they brought bodies in, I think there was more than far more than a dozen dead that was a horrific scene, but the Turkish government has come out and said that it was an Israeli uh, bombing, and I think it's it's pretty certain at this point. I think most people would probably agree that it was an Israeli bombing because, first of all, Hamas missiles are very, very small. They don't have a payload to be able to do something 
that would kill that many people. And, and uh, you know, detractors might say, but Jackson, there was no, uh, you know, there, there was like no, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? The, the hole in the ground. Crater. Crater. Yeah, there was yeah. no crater. Uh, the, the, the missiles that sometimes like JDAM fired systems use, uh, they're craterless missiles. So they actually explode before they hit the ground. And that's why we've seen that a lot. in a lot of these bombings that Israel's done in Gaza, there's no crater. You see the, not all like the Jabalia refugee camp, there are craters, but some of the other refugee camps, there's no craters. And that's because they're huge bombs, but they explode before they hit the ground. So there's there's no crater. Let, let me add something there, because I, I was actually in your camp early on. I thought that it was probably a JDAM because based off of the audio and the video in the early days, I was really trying to dissect this and it, and it sounds just like a JDAM. The issue that I have with that assessment is that if you actually look at the, the damage on the ground, you're right, there wouldn't be a crater, but there would still be tremendous damage to the structures. And there's almost none. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that tells me that it was something else. I... I tend to agree, though, that it was more more likely than not, it was probably an Israeli strike just simply because it doesn't make a ton of sense that Hamas would have fired, uh, you know, and have it go into their hospital. But they also do use kind of, you know, for, random for fire. Me, for me, so. it makes sense that it could have been a misfire because Hamas doesn't have, you know, the, the best rockets, to say the least. And uh, when, when you look at that kind of explosion, it is kind of similar to other rockets. But again, not a rocket scientist. I don't know what happened. I, I, I can't come to a larger conclusion here because who really knows at the end of the day here? All I know is that the truth is the first casualty of war. And I think Indeed. it's fair to say we get no truth about what's really happening on the ground there. We get a lot of war propaganda. We get a lot of disinformation from both sides of, of, of the kind of uh, larger kind of disinformation, fifth generational warfare fight that's happening here that uh, I think is just as important as the actual real fight, if not more important. Because when you look at the information, it is key. It is crucial, not only to morale, but for support, for funding, for the United States to get involved here. As, of course, the politicians are saying full support to give Israel everything they want. And the American people are saying, hey, my grocery bills are kind of high here. Can we not just get into another conflict, please? I think that's the larger kind of sentiment here. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of people who feel many different ways. Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis have their own particular issue. But when it comes to Donald Trump, uh, you you would say you're a Donald Trump supporter as well. Uh, I, I like the MAGA movement. I think he's uh, he's good on a lot of issues. What do you think about his larger kind of positionings on Israel as he kind of called himself the, the most pro-Israel president ever and was a part of uh opening up what was it that um what was the major move that he made he opened up that uh it was jerusalem Jerusalem. it was the The u.s embc he opened up the u.s embc also in jerusalem which was a major deal uh and according to some people also has has escalated tensions he was a part of the abraham accords and uh, i i think when it comes to him and his larger influence with jared kushner he was also the one sending bombs over to syria which the United States and Israel are doing right now as well. So how do you think he would handle this kind of situation? Uh, because his foreign policy doesn't look that different than uh, kind of um, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley when it comes to Israel specifically. Uh, yeah, I think that's, if this all continues, I think that might even be a deciding factor for me if I vote for him or if I don't, you know. But I we're already seeing some cracks begin to develop. He said the other day that... Um, there's no hatred for the, the the Palestinians have for the Israelis and and vice versa the Israelis for the Palestinians. I think we should just let this one play out. And you know he's got some tension with Netanyahu and oh yeah, Trump's a petty man. And maybe you know this will evolve into some sort of a 
policy shift. Who knows? But a lot of people don't like uh, Netanyahu. Um, there's a lot of tension between him and uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, who's a Rothschild banker, by the way. There's uh, there's a lot of tension between him and Joe Biden. There's a lot of tension between him and, and a lot of people in the international community. So, but it, for it, Trump, it's it, personal. Yes. What, what do you think? Is it because Netanyahu officially welcomed in Joe Biden as the president yes. of the United States? Yes. Do you yeah. think that was the one key moment that made Donald Trump say, what the fuck, bro? I had your back all this time and now you're 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 cheering uh, Joe Biden on. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, look at what he did for the Israeli government, the Israeli state, the normalization. The you know Abraham Accords were long going, but like they they finally did it. And I think maybe that's even why this is all happening now, because mm -hmm. like the Hamas, the radical elements within uh, Gaza saw their opportunity um, to derail that, to derail that, and also kind of like reestablish the Palestinian resistance back onto the forefront of the geopolitical arena because it was it was fading away as the Abraham Accords were uh, normalizing ties with all these Arab nations. It was re it was removing all of their allies. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was being done so largely with U.S. taxpayer dollars, which makes me fucking furious. I have an important question for you that I would feel remiss if I didn't ask at some point because I know you've been accused of this a lot. Have you received any payment from either China or Russia? No. Ever. No. And... Or, pro also, or proxies or influences of those countries. Well, I did receive an award one time. It was called the Serena Shim Award. And uh, I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, but people say, I don't know where the money comes from, but people say it's like Syrian government uh, allied organization or something like that. They gave, but, you, they gave you a million dollars, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Assad is just cashing out. The, as Aleppo's burning, he's cashing out the checks. He's got a lot of oil money, bro. Me. Come on. I mean, the United States has a lot of the oil fields. So I know. That's doesn't true. doesn't have that that's much oil. But, no, I've never taken... The only thing that I've ever um, been offered, actually, was I was offered a job... I was offered to make videos that were like RT stories and basically just refit them on my YouTube show. I declined that because I didn't want to register as a foreign agent, and I kind of it's gray waters as to whether or not you have to if you if you work for RT like that. I was offered a job to write for RT on my last trip there, which I did entertain because my YouTube channel was just banned, <laughs> and, but I did not take. And then I went on CGTN one time, and CGTN I went on and I like debated for like ten minutes about like wokeism or something, and then they're like they're like. We would like to pay you two hundred fifty dollars. Thank you, Jackson, Mister Jackson. I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. <laughs> wait, wait, what's CGTN? Uh, Chinese. Okay, okay. They're like RT, but I should have figured out from the impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want two hundred fifty dollars? I, I knew right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of all the things he's done, that's what's gonna get him canceled right there. <laughs> so no, but you know, if if. Uh, Fuck, man. If, like, Putin wanted to fund me at this point, I'd happily register as a foreign agent. <laughs> why, why are you such a fan of Putin? I got to understand this because, like, yeah, he looks out for his people. He's definitely bucked the kind of neoliberal world order. Uh, but also hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian men have died as a consequence of his invasion. I understand the reasons for the invasion. I've actually argued or debated formally in person destiny on this topic. So mm -hmm. you don't have to educate me on that. But I still look at that and I go, damn, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks, but the way I see it is like uh, maybe I'm a little bit of an accelerationist too, and I think. Um, see, this is where the Marxism Leninism comes in. <laughs> maybe, maybe. The, well, you know, I just think none of these leaders have balls. Like, if if Xi Jinping militarily, I know they want to do it peacefully, but if they militarily took Taiwan tomorrow, I'd be like, great. 
you know, if Iran and Syria and uh, whoever else, Hezbollah, formally joined the war with Hamas and started fighting Israel, I'd say uh, that's interesting because I don't think I can say great as a U.S. citizen while Hamas is labeled as a terror group. But <laughs> I think uh, none of these leaders have balls except for Putin. And maybe you disagree, think it's sad, whatever. But, like, he's the only guy who's actually willing to put his entire economy at risk, his entire country at risk, to launch a history changing operation uh that did amount to a war so i think he's um, so you are badass. not you are not anti-war it sounds no. sounds like okay no. i i personally would hope that taiwan doesn't get invaded i would personally hope hamas doesn't join the conflict uh because i just don't want to see more life loss just from my own personal perspective as and he i would, would say we're both pussies uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, whatever uh but but my counter to that kind of criticism of putin would be during covid he was acting like a little bitch like let's be let's be honest he was a huge germaphobe he locked people down he was trying to push health passports mm. he was trying to get people to get vaccinated and on covid he got a big L. He failed very miserably. I, I think it may be because he thought it was a legit bioweapon, yeah. and it probably was a bioweapon, so I don't know. It's it, interesting. It, it, it is a bioweapon, right. but you still don't destroy your people's personal liberties and freedoms, because I, I knew people who were in Russia, and they were like, I can't fucking even go out. I can't even go out right. in, in the fucking city, because we were fucking locked down here, and he took a lot of that whole narrative very seriously and played along with it, while countries like fucking Sweden said, fuck you, where Donald Trump was even criticizing and attacking them to, to that fucking extent. So shouts out to Sweden. They, they did the right thing when yeah. it came to that particular issue. They sure did. But, but Putin, when it comes to his kind of repressive nature, repressive speech, uh, repressive protest, some people say, you know, that's great. I personally disagree with that. Um, I still think it was a big mistake for him to la launch this uh, invasion. And I think the United States baited him into it. And they're using Ukraine as a proxy. And they're bleeding Ukraine to the last man in order to try to create a dent into Russia. When in reality, they made Russia a lot bigger than it was before. And then also just shored up their alliances with China, with India, with the Middle East that are now stronger than ever and truly are a legitimate threat against the U.S. petrodollar, which I don't want to succeed because I'm here in the United States and for my own selfish reasons I hope America does better and I hope the ideas of freedom do uh, reverberate even though right now we're living under a, a kind of dictatorship under the Joe Biden presidency that of course is uh, trying to in my opinion institute a totalitarian Chinese um, system that's my point of view you might disagree Jackson uh, but feel free to counter in any way um I just got sidetracked when I, I when you brought up the petrodollar thing because yeah. I agree with you. I'm like I don't want our economy yeah. to burn up. <laughs> yeah. But I, we, we work very hard here. Like like I don't want everything just to go to go to. We just need here. to be converting all of our Rumble money into yeah. uh, Bitcoin, I guess. Yeah, I. But when I was in um, when I was in Russia, I met this guy on one of the TV shows, and uh, I'm forgetting his his name. It's like um, Nikonov or something like that. It's it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, the guy who signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact on behalf of the Soviet Union, it's his grandson. Hmm. And he's a member of the uh, Duma. And he's also the chairperson for Russia on a lot of the major BRICS councils that deal with currencies. And uh, I, when I was talking to him, I'm like, I'd love to interview, you know? Like, it'd be great to interview. And he got sick, so I didn't get to. But we were talking about BRICS. And I was like, God, I'd love it if my country didn't shoot itself in the foot and like we could potentially join BRICS or BRI or something. And he just laughed at me and he's like, 
not in my he's like not in my lifetime he's like we will win it's <laughs> like fuck these well, people are committed yeah well they they ought to be i think that's the the one thing that Amer- the american people the average american just doesn't pay enough attention to is that the the sanction regime the the kind of dominance through strength that the american empire has demonstrated over the past 50 years has driven all of these people away from us and into each other's arms so if you're upset with china and russia becoming friendly along with saudi arabia and all these other nations well look in the fucking mirror you stood by you voted for these scumbags as they blew up the rest of the world mm-hmm. and they sanctioned and starved hundreds of thousands of fucking innocent kids to death it's like yeah we we have some culpability in this and i voted against every fucking president in my lifetime so you can't blame me all right if you voted for george bush it's on you if you voted for fucking joe biden it's on you uh the one disagreement i would have with you is that i think that donald trump got absolutely fucking rolled by the deep state he didn't he never really no no, no i agree oh uh, no i no i'm but let me say why i don't think that you should support him moving forward regardless mm. of where he falls on the israel palestine this guy has proven time and time again as he continues to you know travel the world fucking pimping out Pfizer and Moderna uh, that he has not learned from his mistakes. And I just feel like if you're if you're as aware of what we're up against as I think you are, I'm I'm stunned to hear that you still think that Donald Trump can be the guy. And I'm curious why you do. Uh, I don't necessarily think he can be the guy that solves everything or anything. I just think that he does pose some at least semblance of a threat to the deep state. I'll agree with you there. And, you know, a little bit is better than... Than Than none. (laughs) And maybe it's not because if you're that type of an accelerationist, then maybe you do want Joe Biden. I don't... I I actually want, um, you know... Like, I think he did some good things. Like, he tried he tried to get the troops out of Syria. James Jeffrey stopped him and lied about it. Yep. He did succeed in Afghanistan. You know, Colonel Douglas McGregor, he would have made him a secretary of defense, I think, if the, anyone had ever approved him. But he made him a, a senior advisor to the uh, Pentagon. So, and there's other things, too. I mean, Soleimani, I think, was terrible. I think that uh, the airstrikes with France and the UK on Syria were terrible. He fell for all that stuff. But... I think um, I, I don't I, I do agree. I don't think Ukraine would have happened necessarily had he been in power. I think that's true. He was more friendly with Putin. I, I do have one quick follow up. I'm curious, seeing as you're not anti-war, why you thought the Soleimani, for those that don't know, that's an Iranian general that was assassinated by uh, the Trump administration. Pretty much the head of their Department of Defense. Right. It Go would ahead. be. Yeah, it'd basically be like our, our secretary general or defense uh, secretary. Why? Why was that a bad thing? Well, first of all, we're not at war with them. So, I mean, it just violates our own law in the United States. But um, I think that Soleimani was a, I think he was a visionary hero and probably honestly involved with a lot of the planning that led to this Al-Aqsa flood years in advance. But interesting, I think that he was a resistance figure. And basically the reason why Trump wanted him out was based on a bunch of lies that Pompeo sold him. They were saying that Iran, a Shia theocracy, was in bed with Al-Qaeda and like al-Nusra and all these crazy, you know, jihadist organizations, which is insane. And it's a lie. Yeah. They, and they were, were blood saying, enemies, actually. Yeah, yeah. And and he was, the, the other thing is like, obviously, the deep state hated Soleimani because Soleimani was fighting ISIS and ISIS and al-Qaeda in Syria were on the side of Israel and the United States. So he was a natural enemy. He was allied with Russia. He was allied with all these countries. So I think he was, um, I mean... No one's perfect, right? Yeah, but I'm just but, curious. What when you said that he was a, uh, you know, I don't know what the f- the phrase was exactly. I think you called him a rebellion figure or something like that. Soleimani, I'm saying, who was he? Who was he fighting against? Uh, Israel. The, the, I, Israel and the United States by proxy. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. We asked you a lot of questions. Do you have any questions for us? Uh, what do you guys? 
I, I don't like labels, but I'm, I am always curious. So you called yourself an anarcho-capitalist. Yep. Uh, Li- libertarian anarcho-capitalist. He's an anarchist. Um, a capitalist, you said? Anarchist. Anarchist. Mm-hmm. Anarchist. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we just agree on so much. Um, what do you guys think about... So we, we, you're not going to vote for Trump? Probably not. Will you vote for Trump? I don't know. Uh, I'll be honest. I have no idea how it's going to to kind of uh, uh, you know kind of uh, figure itself out. But there's a big possibility that Trump and Biden might might not be on the ticket. Both yeah. of them. So yeah. I think we'll, I think... we'll see. Uh, I mean, there's people always vo- voting for the lesser of two evils. I understand that argument. Um, it depends. You I, know. We had Vivek in studio a couple of weeks ago, and he's a very impressive guy. I don't have any idea if he's telling me the truth, but. In terms of rhetoric, I do like a lot of what he has to say. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't like his China hawkishness, which you'll yeah. appreciate that I don't like that. Uh, I also don't like his hawkishness against the drug cartels in Mexico. I think that's fucking crazy, and I don't think you'll ever actually stop the flow of drugs. Uh, so I have my disagreements, but I think that him with uh, with Trump would probably be the best ticket that could potentially get elected. Yeah. Well, okay, I do have one question, the good question. So one uh, very focal policy for a lot of MAGA communists as we're labeled or we call ourselves sometimes is uh, we seek to, I mean, like we see like the UK, City of London and the Malthusian ideology, economic ideology that they all put forward as the pain for a lot of people on the face of the earth right now. Yep, It's anti-human. And in the War of 1812, I mean, Canada wasn't a country. It was part of, you know, the crown at that point. And since then, a lot of people think that, you know, it's like uh, been used as a proxy against the U.S. And if there was ever a truly revolutionary figure in the U.S., Canada would maybe be used as a proxy. You'd have NATO stationed right across our border. So a lot of us think that uh, we should better, you know, instead of sending our money to Israel and Ukraine, the founding fathers said that manifest destiny is not completed until we take Canada and I've seen Tucker Carlson agree with the idea, and I'm actually dead serious. Like I, oh, I believe you're serious. <laughs> I think I, uh, we need to take don't, Canada. Don't take I, my I, smile as me uh, not thinking uh, you're sincere. <laughs> I, I'm a non-interventionist all the time, 99.9% of the time. <laughs> but the Canadians are asking for it. I mean, you got to come on. Let's just be real with ourselves. They're 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 effeminizing themselves so much. They're just making Assisted it easy. They're suicide. saying, "Come on in." Yes, yeah. I mean, for fuck's sakes, they're killing their own people. I mean, now, I mean, there's a, there's 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 this kind of idea. We got to inv- invade them to give them freedom and liberty. We might have to. Yeah. Fuck how fucked Canada well, is. Let, I mean, for fuck's sake. Let me start by saying I do not agree with him. I do not support this. <laughs> However. However, if there was a country that deserves to be no, invaded, I mean, like, like, it is Canada. This, this is a legitimate statement. Of all of the intervention wars to spread uh, democracy and freedom that we've done over the past 20 years, there would be no more justifiable war than to invade and liberate Canada or the Canadians from the Trudeau uh, tyranny. So I don't, I don't support it, but I do understand the rationale. Hey, Canadians are asking for it. That's all I will say. We <laughs> With got, all your fucking syrup and your hockey. Ah, oh, fucking hell. Social justice warriors. They're arresting parents right now for not transitioning their children in Canada. They're literally like suiciding they people. They do that being shit like, in California. Yeah, we got, another, we got, I think, one last uh, rumble rant that came in a few moments ago from Marks Lives saying, I don't agree with Jackson, but at least he is making something new with mega communism instead of just repeating post-World War I secular talking points, fascism. 
Marxism, Trotskyite, Communism, Global Liberalism. And that's it. That was the rumble rant from uh, Marx Lives. And uh, I got to say, we got a lot of shit for saying we're going to have you on the show. Uh, and uh, my response is, we don't give a fuck. We're here to have some real conversations yeah. with people we disagree with. And I think those are the conversations that we should be striving for and having the, the more than ever. I think we're living in a time where people are just so emotionally enraged, so pissed off at each other. We need to sit down. We need to relax. We need to calm down. We need to try to understand each other. And what better way to do that through an honest and real, off-the-cuff, unscripted, live conversation that you guys are participating in. So I, I want to thank you, Jackson. I disagreed with some of the things you said, but but I, I thank you for, for coming into uh, our studio and being willing to stand up for your ideas, to be able to discuss them, to be able to talk about them at length and, and ask and be asked questions that you never knew what were going to be asked ahead of time. So it takes a certain uh, chutzpah, uh, as, as the Jewish people would say. <laughs> To to you know be able to come into a place and argue against someone who disagrees with you, but we need that more than ever. Uh, let me just add too uh, to anybody that's giving Luke or I shit on Twitter right now or wherever you're giving it. Uh, stop being such a pussy. Like, do you think that I can't defend my belief system against a fucking Marxist Leninist? Get the fuck out of here. He's he's going to try and convince me that collective ownership is good. I'm going to try and convince him that, that uh, private property rights is actually the, the best way to look out for the, the everyman, which I know he's concerned with. And and let's let the fucking, let's battle it out with our words as opposed to going to, to violence and censorship, you pussies. Or ignorance and just not trying to understand each other at all. So this is what we strive to do. You like this? You want to be a part of this mission? subscribe to rumble set up an account a lot of people just watch and they don't log in they don't set up an account sign in log in i want that stupid little dildo green looking thing that rumble gives out <laughs> to people when they have a hundred thousand subscribers we're not that far away from it subscribe uh just for vanity's sake because i think it'll be just it'll be cool. awesome it'll be cool it'll be cool to have like right here it'll be, it'll be really awesome to have that as of course chris pavlovsky just announced that he is going to be joining the lawsuits that elon musk oh, is wow. starting against yeah, media great. matters i just saw on my twitter account that he is announcing that there is going to be a major calvary coming together that needs the backing and support of the people we wouldn't be here if it wasn't the, the backing and support of you super chatting rumble ranting signing up to lukeunfiltered.com and because you do this is one of the reasons we are still here subscribe to us click the notification button register uh put in a fake name put in senior butts but i don't give a fuck what your username will be or you what you have to connect it to log in and register to rumble because the more active users they have the more people they have logged in the better off they will be and truly there isn't one company out there like rumble when it comes to live video streaming that costs a shit ton of money the servers the the amount of tech that it needs to to just facilitate what we're doing right now is the, the costs are fucking huge. So support Rumble. You do that through Rumble Rants. You do that by being here. And this is truly going to be an insane, crazy fucking fight ahead of the next presidential election. Your support is more crucial than ever. And I can't thank you guys enough for that. Jackson, uh, what else would you like to say? And where can people find you? And uh, if they want to support your work, where can they do that? Yeah, you can find me on X, uh, Jackson Hinkle with two L's, and Rumble, The Dive with Jackson Hinkle. And um, that's all the places you can find me. Someone made a comment saying Rumble makes you use a phone number uh, to sign up for an account. Is that true? I don't, I don't think know so. if that's true or not, but if it does, just set up a Google phone number account. You can mm -hmm. just very easily do that. There you go. So, yeah, there's, there's different ways of... of 
having layers of security here that you guys should be privy to. Maybe we'll do one show. Tomorrow's show, we're bringing in experts from Latin America to talk about this latest major victory in Argentina for the anarchists. We got another <laughs> rumble rant from Freedom of Speech 77777 saying uh, he is now a monthly supporter. I didn't know that we had monthly supporters. I guess we do. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Freedom MOF. S speech 7777. We appreciate you. <laughs> Clint, where can people find you? Uh, at Liberty Lock Pod on X and uh, Liberty Lockdown is the show. You can find it since you're on Rumble right now. Just go click subscribe on Rumble. I have a much smaller audience over there, but I would much rather grow my my audience on a platform that will allow me to tell the truth. If you fucking listen to the past hour, that like 80% of the shit that we talked about, we really couldn't have done on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So show some fucking appreciation for Rumble and Chris and. Uh, and thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always. Freedom uh, of Speech 777 said good conversation. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Steph, what about you? Oh, you can find me on Instagram, Steph. We are change. You speak too much, Steph. You got to quiet down back there. As of course, I, I couldn't get a word in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, uh, but no. Uh, everyone's asking for you to be more uh, inquisitive. But uh, we appreciate you, Steph. Thank you so much for doing the button pushing. Thank you so much for everyone for being a part of the show. Thank you, guys. Stay tuned for more here on Rumble.com forward slash We Are Change. Hit the like button.